Welcome to the Beer and Gear Podcast with Chris Taylor. Okay, welcome to the podcast and today we've got a good friend of mine on with us, bass player extraordinaire Eric Rupert. Now, uh, this guy's one of the legends in the business. He's uh, been there, seen it, done it all. Um, we've spent many a time at many a trade show together as well. Um, Eric, do you want to tell everyone a bit about yourself? Well, you know, uh, bass player, been doing it for over 30 years. Moved from the States over here to the UK, where I met Chris. Um, and, you know, basically just the guy who's been the meat and potatoes guy behind a lot of people. The sideman theory. It's great. Yeah, where, where, did it, where did it all start out? Well, start out, I actually started out in Ohio in uh, the States and uh, I was a tuba player and I had, I started playing double bass because uh, I was asked to and I went, oh, this is cool. This thing's cool. What's this do? And uh, <laughs> in the process, my parents thought it would be cool to get me an electric bass. So they went to a store and the guy's like, well, here's what we have. And they looked up and there was a fretless, no lines, electric bass. And they went, well, that looks like what he plays at home. We'll take that one. <laughs> so right. I immediately get a bass that doesn't sound, I'm like, ah, oh, it's not out of tune all the time. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it all started there. And, you know, I, I, I went to a couple of different colleges through the process. So, you know, I was lucky enough to meet some great cats through that and uh, just got into it and quit school to go on the road with uh, Dr. John. Right, okay. Which was, which was kind of cool. It wasn't on purpose, uh, uh, funny enough. I left school for, we usually have like a one or two week break in the spring, like everybody does. And I got called to do a, a thing through a drummer friend of mine. So I went out and did it. And at the end of the two weeks, the guy came up to me and he goes, we'd really like to, uh, you know, we've been offered a lot more gigs. Would you be willing to stay on? And it was a bit like, uh, I guess you guys have the party band thing here, um, but we would play big conventions. So it was like a Broadway West End show package. And we went to Japan, we went everywhere. But I had to call my university and go, I don't think I'm coming back. <laughs> and one of my teachers said, uh, well, before you sign anything, send me the contract. I said, yeah, sure. And I faxed it to him in the 80s. And uh, he called me up and he goes, this is more than I make teaching. Take the gig. <laughs> right. And that was from a university. Okay. Got the university yeah, well, it was the, it was the head of the jazz program. And I just said to him, I said, are you sure? And he said, you can always go back to school, but you're never going to get paid to play this easily. You know, he said, go do it. Because they only wanted like a three or four month kind of deal. So we were going to be done by August. I could go back to school. And I didn't really lose that much money in the deal because I was on a scholarship, but it ended up being two and a half years of touring. So it was great. It was a company, they hired us. And then uh, if people needed backing musicians, we would get a phone call, you know? Oh, and oddly enough, one of them was the a drummer in Atlanta needed a bass player. We had met them through the process of touring. And he said, yeah, I need a bass player in Atlanta for like a month. And we had a break coming up and the boss said, well, we'll have to get our fee. And I said, whatever. And, and it was like, yeah, it's with Dr. John. 
I was like, okay. And I showed up and they handed me a book of music that thick. Yeah. And they said, we don't know what he's going to call, but this is the music that you need. I was like, so, uh, yeah, that was, that was kind of the start of it all. But, uh, yeah, Dr. John, quite cool. I mean, he's just passed and, uh, what a shame. And actually, you know, uh, Roland, his, uh, Roland Guerin, the yeah, Ibanez yeah, yeah. guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Who was, who was with, who's with, uh, has been with Mac for years now. Um, but yeah, we kind of crossed over a couple of times and it's always been fun to run into him. We, whenever we're in New Orleans, uh, trade shows, whenever. He was just actually over with, uh, Paul Gilbert. He was okay. touring with Gilbert's gig, you know, so that was cool. It was cool to see him, but, uh, but yeah, so that was the first real partial. And then the Broadway thing kind of kicked in. Wow. And I started that, and oddly enough, so you got Dr. John as your first real thing. I mean, I had played with a lot of people by then actually, because um, we had done one night stints with different artists yeah. uh, on this gig. And uh, then I had some time off, I did a couple of years on that. And it was, oh, have a break. You know, what are you going to do? I made some money. I was like, seriously, 19, 20. I think I turned 21 while I was on that gig. Um, actually, I did. We were in Florida. And in the States, we had plastic um, driver's license back mm -hmm. in the day. And it had to be sent to you in the mail. You couldn't leave with it. So I turned 21. I went to the driver's license bureau piece of paper that I could drive we got to Florida and it was all of a sudden like I'm 21 I can go to all the clubs so every place I went they're like uh no you need a picture license so I pulled out my passport and after touring for years and living all over the world I even laugh more about this this guy looked at it and he goes uh but this isn't a real ID like, I'm like, what, the only one I can go around the world with? Nobody cares about my driver's license. So, yeah, but got lucky enough, uh, one of the guys inside knew me and just said, you know, he's all right. So, but, yeah, I was living in Florida for a while when I turned 21, so that was cool. But then Broadway kind of kicked in, and I got a phone call for uh, Cabaret, the musical Cabaret. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, this is cool. I only really knew the movie. And I knew a bit of musicals from playing, you know, whatever, or tuba, mostly. And um, so we go to New York for the auditions, walk in, and I look over and I'm like, is that Joel Gray, who was in the movie, of course? And it's like, oh, yeah, he's producing and he's going to be doing some of the shows. I was like, so like, I literally was getting very lucky to get cool pops of, you know, quite famous people early on. It's quite nice. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you know. what's, what's, what's the difference is there? What, what's it like doing the sort of Broadway production for a, for a, for a player? Is it a monumental well, task? Because it obviously it differences from completely from jamming with bands and, 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 and artists. It must be a different mindset, mustn't it, really, with how it's all done to cues and done to... Yeah. yeah well, it the, is. But, I mean, Chris, you know this as well as I do. Uh, and I, hopefully a lot of people get it out there. When you're out with a tour with a, a big rock band or an artist... A lot of times people don't realize how choreographed that rock show is too. You know, you can go see Slash or Hart or anybody and they'll be 48 minutes exactly. And you'll go, how can they do that every night? And you think it's because they've written a set list down on a piece of paper, which always looks really good. 
But nowadays, even those shows have somewhat click tracks and do some things where the drummer's listening to a very specific rigid thing so it doesn't go off, you know? Mm -hmm. And even the solos sometimes, I mean, you're, you're a massive Eddie fan. There's certain times, it's great to see Eddie go nuts, but if you would have gone and seen certain songs without the solo exactly what you thought it was, mm. you'd go, oh, that was cool, but but I really like that part. And, you know, so you kind of, yeah. but yeah, it, it it is different in the sense that you're running with a group of people that really are never seen as musicians in a Broadway tour or a West End tour. You're either in the pit or you're backstage, you know, you're kind of hidden away, mm. uh, which makes it somewhat nice because you're reading music. So you know, 90% of the time you're reading the music. And I say 90% of the time only because there are some times when you'll just get a chord chart for a bass player or so you can actually do your thing. Yeah. But it's all click track. I mean, it's been for years. Yeah. So nothing's really changed in that respect. And there's a few shows. I mean, nowadays there's even more shows. Uh, I think Six, which is an all-female show. Uh, the band is actually on the whole stage. So there's a few shows like that. I did a couple where um, they were um, Gershwin shows and they actually had the band on stage for some of the set. So we were on this moving piece. So we're in tuxedos for the whole show and four songs, they roll us out. And the rest of the time you're in a tuxedo going, why in the world am I dressed in this? Because <laughs> it pays. <laughs> well, exactly. Yeah, you know, hey, I'm you know what they call us so it's all good but yeah it, it, it is it is quite a difference but it's a little bit like being a studio player too um when you're in the session and you're either handed a chord chart or you're handed real music or somebody says uh hey man just can you create this you know so there's a big tip in that for everyone learn to play to a click <laughs> yes oh oh well, I mean, you'll never play well with the drummer. And it's not just about a click. It's just work with the metronome. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I did uh, yesterday, I did uh, seven hours of uh, lesson sessions uh, on Zoom. Uh, I'm doing some stuff for Solent University in Southampton. Oh, nice. And uh, so, yeah, and it was, uh, it's weird what you as a player, I mean, I'm old, Chris, you know that. So <laughs> it's what, it's weird for me when you're talking to somebody really young and they don't, I know they don't know everything, but the, the basics you sometimes go, really? You know, I'm like, you should really be working with the metronome. Yeah, I turn the click on, on my Logic Pro and I play along, it's like. It's because they've got, nowadays, I know. Got, there's too much, there's, I've got everything to hand. And, and yeah. things that, I mean, you can get, you can, you can download a metronome for free. Oh yeah, oh, I've got the, you know? uh, uh, if you want to, uh, uh, a blatant, a blatant advertisement per Chris Taylor years ago. I've got my Ibanez uh, metronome and tuner on my phone. There you go. There you go. But I remember because you've got to pay for it. And I remember when I was at the NAM show, um, Mike Rico said, mate, get on your phone right now. I'll give you the code. It's free. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, I'm like, and then like four years later, they're all free. Yeah. <laughs> I like, mean, I mean, Gibson have actually just launched their app finally, haven't they? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, Henry's gone now, so there's a lot of things they're going to do that don't have to do with motorcycles. <laughs> Harley Davidson's never going to make another penny on Gibson. I don't know what they're going to do. It's, uh, it, it's, it's crazy. I mean, I do, you know, <laughs> moving on to say, just while we're on Gibson. Oh, yeah. It's, um, 
you know, I've, I've done the virtual NAM thing this year. I, I, I logged in for all that. And, you know, Gibson seem to be focusing on the, it's, it, it's, it's on the high end. I think most companies are because obviously in the global pandemic and it, it, it's much harder to forecast um, any kind of import that a brand can do you know how do you how do you program your factories when you don't know they're going to be open so i think a lot of manufacturers have literally stuck to the, their own stuff they can make in their own factories and it's and inherently that's the higher price stuff and i think a lot of manufacturers are doing that i've seen oh yeah people, people complaining complaining to me over facebook like saying like oh why is why is everything like two grand that's coming out this year it's like well because people need to still make stuff but they can only control their own factory they can't yeah so that's why you're seeing well, Gibson literally doing, okay, this year we're doing loads of signature up. Um, oh, yeah. Well, I mean, Ibanez, Ibanez has done it. Gibson's done it. ESP's doing it. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, even people like, I mean, we know, if people don't know about the Paul Reed Smith buys and, the, you know, all the, all the companies are getting either purchased or becoming another part of a thing, mostly for distribution. Uh, I think when people see like Mesa and, that, that being bought, they immediately think they're going to move everything to the factory and they're going to ruin the product. Yeah. No, this is talking about distribution worldwide because, you know, when the guys at Mason need to send something, you know, a guy bought one boogie amp in, you know, India to send that costs almost as much as it costs to make the amp. And you, you can't completely make the guy who bought it pay for everything. They try. <laughs> Everybody tries. But, you know, shipping's not as expensive as it was back in the day. You know, you and I started in the industry when, I mean, just sending it around the island of the UK was like, you know, a lot more pennies. Now, if it's a certain weight and you're sending out a load of product out of a warehouse, it's almost free, really. Yeah, from a distribution side of it, that's why you'd always have a threshold on it. So if you make your order, oh, if your order's over this much... Yeah. Um, you get free shipping and by the way here's our catalogue because there's our amps here's our basses here's our guitars exactly here's our drums here's our cymbals you know and it makes yeah, well, it, that's easy, it easier for the store to put one order in a week for example and have a, have a van load you know or have yeah load. exactly yeah. i mean fender talking about the whole uh, more expensive product thing i mean I, I think because you and i've worked on both sides of the fence i mean i'm not only a player but i've also been not only a clinician for a lot of the companies, of course, I worked for Gibson for a few years when I lived in Nashville, but I also have worked in the factories. I worked with Dean Markley and helped develop strings for some players because sometimes the guys who create the product really understand what it means to talk to the players. You know, they'll be like, oh yeah, man, I need some more like uh, and I need some, you know, some dark to that. And I need some, and the string guys, like, uh, I got stainless steel, I got bronze, <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, which one's going to work for you? So there has to be that kind of like, oh, well, he's playing this music. This is what we'll do. And I mean, we've seen it happen with the string companies um, where now you've got the metal strings, you've got the drop D strings and drop B and, you know, so they, they've started to market it more towards the player being able to see it. Well, I play in, oh, that's a seven string set and drop. That's what I want. <laughs> it says yeah. it on the tin. You yeah. know, it used to be, you had to know the number and what the string was and, oh, I need a one. Ugh. Yeah, but, well, that, you see it with Dunlop agree at that because they do like literally, here's, yeah. a drop, here's a drop C set, here's a drop B set, here's yeah. a C sharp set. And literally the, the way they market it is quite clever because it's like we, you know, 
they're thick as strings, but we uh, do a, <laughs> a looser chord oh, yeah. in it. So it, it feels like the same, same as a set of nine or tens, but it's a 12. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like how, well, the, and uh, there's a uh, there's a company I can't uh, off the top of my head. I should be able to tell you who they are, but they're a company and they're doing that whole thing where it's not about gauging where you're doing even gauges or whatever. It's about gauging for tension. So that's what you're talking <laughs> yeah, about it's when, when you pick core. it up. Yeah. Yeah. The core. Yeah. It, with the hex core, you can get a different thing. And, you know, I mean, I, when I worked at Dean Markley, I went up to their factory in Michigan and, you know, for the first two weeks, I almost thought it was a joke. Uh, Dean himself had called and said, hey, I need you to go up and work on some strings we're doing. We actually did the um, Billy Dickens seven string at the time. And Will Lee had just come out with his SR2000s. Uh, and they were in a weird, you know, uh, scaling. It was like 127 to uh, 47 instead of a 45. Oh, I like it a little heavier. And then I went in and we start using, you know, checking the sizes and you're realizing it's really 45.7. Like, you know, it, it, the marketing is what it's all about. It's yeah. about saying, hey, how cool is this? Yeah. Great. You know, and I learned so much just from that whole tension thing. But for the first two weeks, the guy that ran the factory is like, it's great that you're here, man, but I need you to make strings. And I'm like, uh, dude, I'm like a bass player. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. And I went out and it was really enlightening to make a nine, to make wound strings, to put ball ends on strings, mm. you know, to put two ball ends on strings and then get the phone call from Ned Steinberger going, uh, yeah, can you make me a, and you're going, yeah, Ned, I can do that. <laughs> you know, it yeah. was, it was, it was a cool experience, but sorry, exactly. <laughs> we'll run off on total. That's, that's totally of, cool. That's totally Yeah. Cool. Loads of that. Yeah. But, uh, with Gibson and with a lot of it, we heard from Fender a couple of years ago um, that they were going to do this thing where you could go on the website and basically mix and match, buy what you wanted, like the Jackson and Charvel company used to do. Mm -hmm. If you remember years ago, they actually had it where if you went on the computer at the music store and you were a Jackson dealer, you could get a different neck, different pickups, whatever you want, and you get it really quick because they only made four guitars. Yeah. All the, yeah. You know, the electronics. I mean, not to be weird, but you've got a telly sitting behind you. You know, it's like if, if, if you think about Fender, there's a Strat and a telly. Well, OK, so what, what's the big difference if I buy a Strat with those pickups? Oh, those are double tap coil, blah, blah, you know, the, all the words. And you go, ah, but Fender was going to do that thing a few years ago where they were getting out of stores because they just didn't feel like. They were getting the rebuys, you know, we're, we're buying a cheap guitar, inexpensive, but we're not buying the next one up. How come? Well, because some kid like turned into a slash fan after he got that inexpensive strat with the amp. So they went and bought the Epiphone, you know, that went with that. That's why Fender was losing that business. I think the expensive guitars are going to be there because they know they're not going to get returned businesses easily, especially yeah. with the pandemic. You know, you're going to buy a guitar and you're going to keep it. I think some of the guitars that are being made and bought right now are people are going to keep them for years. I mean, you've got guitars you've had for years. I've got guitars I've had for a few years, you know. Yeah. I mean, I used to be the switch swatch guy like, oh, ooh, that's new. That's cool. I have yeah. one of those. Now I'm like buying stuff thinking, you know, I got rid of some stuff last year going, I haven't played this in two years. It's really cool. Yeah. But there's cool sitting at home 
translate into anything but sitting at home, you know. Well, yeah, but I mean, it's it's the ones that I find most value with my stuff. Now, I think I've got what have I got? I did have fifty, but I've got like 47, 48, 46 now. Because they, they make really good presents to people that are close to you. Know, that, that, <laughs> you were saying that at Christmas. So I was waiting for my uh, Eddie Van Halen guitar to show up, but it just never did. I, it, it's here. <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah, it's there. I like the gold top better. I think maybe uh, it, you'll have a laugh. You'll have a laugh. But when I was when I was doing PV clinics, oh. um, I mean, I, I've told you this before. I know that's just gorgeous. But I told you this before. I, I got a chance... Um, uh, it was Eddie and Mike were doing a thing um, at the PV booth or at the PV party. Uh, and I remember hanging out with Mike um, and uh, Eddie came in and I, I have told you this story before, but it was just like, I mean, Mike was iconic anyway as a bass player. I mean, he's the guy that had the Jack Daniels bass. I mean, yeah. <laughs> when you're a kid, that's cooler than any other thing in the world. Yeah. It's headless. The tuners are down here. And it looks like a bottle. Daniel. <laughs> yeah. And it was like, and then he would drink out of a bottle on stage. You know, like, yep. how cool could this gig be? I need to have that gig. <laughs> you can yeah. do all these horrible things. And behind all that, he looks like a normal guy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, now he's got, I don't know if you're hip to it, but he's got uh, uh, Mike's chili sauce. Yeah. He's got the chili the chili's sauce. thing. Matt Anthony's. Yeah. 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 That's it. Yeah. Mike Anthony's. Yeah. It looks great. I need to order some, but. I'm afraid the shipping will be ridiculous. Well, it's like they say, so, they say, where do you stop? You, you know, you, you want your, your Michael Anthony um, chili. You want your San yeah. Hagar, like tequila. And exactly. Rum, <laughs> and rum. But oh, yeah, fortunately, yeah. the only time I've ever tried that stuff is like when I've been in America because you to, to even buy a bottle of Cabo costs like so much oh, to import. It's ridiculous over here. Yeah. Well, I, I remember being in Cabo and, and playing at his place. Um, and thinking, you know, we were down there, we did a gig, and I thought, oh, this is cool. And in my head, I'm like, Sammy will be here. <laughs> it's like, oh, no, he's out on the road. I'm like, oh, like, what? it's only open when he's in town. No, it doesn't work. Have you, have you seen but, that they've done the, um, they've, just, they've, they've done the pandemic album, where it's all recorded yeah. remotely on their phones, just like, that's oh, cool. Man. You know, it's phenomenal. It's hilarious because, uh, um, they did it and did you see uh, is it me uh did, did jack black get connected to them too i think <clears> on <throat> one of jack black's thing he dresses like a woman he does all of his nut stuff but it's got i think it's got michael anthony and the drummer that they're using um on, jason, jason on, Bonham, yeah yeah oh well there's jason but there's the other guy too there was another guy doing some stuff with them um oh it wasn't arnoff was it when he was doing the chicken foot thing he Kenny did Kenny did chicken foot for a while while Chad Smith was on tour with it was yeah chillish, yeah yeah but I, I just I just remember seeing a few of the guys on this Jack Black thing and I just thought it's, it's what in the world they, they've man. actually released it as an, as an album yeah. and literally and you know what a fair fair play because it's 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 a fun way of doing it and it's nothing that a lot of people haven't around the world haven't been doing between themselves but. For them to actually go, you know, we're not bothered because we realise that people know that we've recorded this on iPhones. We, we, the, yeah. you know, there's, there might, there's obviously a bit of nip and tuck and some tweaks in there, but but they've literally gone, okay, we can do this from home with what we just have around us and why not put it out? You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's quite, I mean, in saying that, we were talking about um, yesterday in one of the sessions, we were talking about the music from Pandemic. And I'm not going to put it all down because you've been doing some great stuff. But, Still going. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I've I've been lucky enough. 
I think I've had four albums, not personal, but four albums that I've done last year have been released by now. So it's like, it, I, I think I was more productive last year sitting at home than I was when you have to go in the studio and then you've got to wait for the guy to mix it. And then you've got to wait. It's like now I had a guy from the States. Uh, yeah, it's great. The ending, and, and he was literally texting me, you know, we're on messenger and he's like the ending. And I said, give me just a second. I was sitting here. I plugged in the bass, pulled up his track on my logic and went, did a different ending, quickly did it, boop, 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 sent it to him while we're still talking. And he goes, yeah. oh, that's perfect, mate. I was like, okay. <laughs> it was like, and it, it is done. I just got paid for texting. <laughs> like, this is like, you know, it's but uh, and, yeah. And, and like, you are, it, it is productive. Um, I mean, I, I can't actually believe how many songs that we've actually written and how much better I've got it at the actual programs that I use just by using them constantly every day and doing the stuff. But, but it's, it's, it's the, the, the good thing about this kind of technology now is like you say, you don't have to spend the time getting to the studio. You don't no. have to spend the time waiting on this and that. You can work remotely. You can write a guitar line and send someone a dry track or it's a bass track, yeah. a dry track. They can, they can put whatever amp they want on it. Once it's, once oh yeah. It's, once well, there's, there. there's a guy in, you know? there's a guy in Belgium that I'm working with right now, Belgium. And, uh, you know, he basically sent me like 10 acoustic guitar tracks and he said, do whatever you want to do. You know, so I did a couple of them. I just looped because they were the same repetitive thing. I did a loop or I did whatever. And I sent him back to him. He's like, this is great. And all of a sudden there's money in my bank account. I'm like. More of this, please. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I, I didn't do anything. You know, it wasn't. Uh, but it, it's what it is. You know, I mean. There's the good and the bad, just like when we were doing it before. Now, you know, we're all starving to play live again because we do get it. I mean, we are all egotists in that sense. We all like to do it. I mean, you know, you with the hair going and the guitar, me, you know, even just the jazz gigs. I mean, I love them. I miss them all because I was playing a jazz gig on one night, a rock gig. I was doing a Prince tribute for a while, you know, and you just go this is great and then all of a sudden yeah. you realize wow there's nothing no yeah it's that it's, it's that interaction isn't it between just just having the people in that room whether whether you're playing or whether you're a punter out there whether you're rammed in like a sardine yeah. in a sweaty crowd um i don't think people realize how much they'd miss it until until it was taken taken away um for us the people that play it it's a different feeling because to yeah. me there's, there's still nothing better than being out there and looking at a load of people and oh. going okay this is going to be great you know. I mean, I I, mean, I love doing the session work, but I mean, I'm I'm, I'm like a live junkie because, you know, I mean, you're a ham anyway. I'm a ham and I don't mind it. And, you know, all of a sudden I've got a load of clothes I can't wear anywhere. <laughs> well, I can, but it looks a little weird to, you know, rock out at the little. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. it's like, hey, man. Uh, but, uh, you know, you just wonder, like, people like Billy Idol, what do they look like when they go into the, like, they're just in a t-shirt and jeans now, like. So clean up and clean up an aisle four. We've got some funky shit in there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we have to be careful saying that because Billy might actually be working at little, like doing the stocking. I mean, you know, I mean, what uh, the people I know. I mean, you know too, but loads of people I know some great bass players. Um, you know, and I was saying, oh, I've done this, and he writes, he writes, plays guitar and plays bass, and he sent me some tracks um, to put bass on, and I said, really? And he said, oh yeah, he said it's so much better to have other people do it while I'm producing. I said, great. So I ended up doing probably five or six 
songs for him last year. And uh, finally, I just said, I said, so what, what else has been going on? He goes, oh, the reason I don't get to you till eight o'clock at night is I'm a Tesco driver. And I mean, I didn't even fathom that, but I forgot that his whole world is touring. Like in your head, you kind of feel like, well, I'm doing this. Other people must be doing it. I mean, I don't even feel like I'm doing it at the level I could be. And uh, these guys have always been talking about, you know, you see them on the road with all their recording get, kit. And I thought, he's got to be doing that. Oh, no, I'm a Tesco driver. I was like, wow. You know, I think people just have had to adapt where they can, haven't they, to keep the, well, you know, we have to. I mean, I've gone and done the odd warehouse gig lately. It's yeah. quite fun. <laughs> I say fun. That sounds really weird. But some one of the warehouse gigs before Christmas, my wife and I were like, I should probably just, you know, see if we can make money anywhere for a little bit and see what happens. So because Christmas just dies, nobody's spending money. And uh, I got this gig and they're like, yeah, it's four in the morning until noon. I was like, what? <laughs> what time is it? And That's my wife says, yeah, well, my <laughs> wife just goes, but aren't you, you used to be awake during those hours. I'm like, yeah, that's true. Why don't I just do that? No, it was 4 a.m. until like one, you know, I just thought, but it was fun. It was a couple of weeks. And then they come up to you and they're like, man, you're great. You guys are doing a great job. I'm like, oh, thanks. You know, <laughs> he goes, uh, uh, it's done. Uh, we won't need you <laughs> after Monday. And you're like, so, okay. so that basically, I think a lot of musicians have uh, had to sort of diversify and, and, and get their skills into different areas, haven't they, during the situation? Because their they're, they're moneymaker, basically, bread and butter has been taken, taken out of the mix, really, hasn't it? With no shows and... Yeah, um, well, the one, the I, I was. I haven't been doing remote recording, yeah. So, well, that's it. I mean, I, I'm an I'm an old dog with, thank God, a few new tricks. But uh, I mean, I wouldn't know what to do, um, what else to do. I mean, I've worked in a lot of other businesses over my life because you know, music's not always the most stable. But uh, here, it's even weirder. It's just weird because kind of. Well, I'm the uh, alien, aren't I? You know, the legal alien living in the UK. So, you know, you can't just run out because they go, oh, what experience do you have? <laughs> uh, 30 years of bass playing. <laughs> it's like, what, what am I good for any, uh, you know, I, I could work at uh, Nespresso. Yeah. You know, I feel like that's a Spinal Tap moment. Like I could work at, at, at the, yeah, that hat looks wonderful on you. You know, there's, <laughs> like, there's another side to it as well, because like my, yeah. my, my CV for, uh, quite similar in ways to yours it's like that that when you do apply for something it might be just a stopgap job and there's nothing wrong with that you know and, and but what what i find when you do they look at your cv and they literally look at it and they think well this guy was going to be here until the pandemic ends and he's going to leave yeah. to, to do what he yeah. used to do before and well yeah but and it's fair enough i mean i have a hard time because i feel like if i get in a job i'm either going to like that job and i'll want to keep doing it you know, because there's a part of me that like feels bad letting somebody down. So it's like, oh, oh, I've, I've really got this tour they want me on. Well, I could work Thursday mornings from nine to six. And you've got to understand, you know, that, that when someone takes somebody on, they've got to invest a lot of time and money into that person, whether it be training, uniforms, yeah. things like that. So it, it's. Oh, yeah. I, I, I totally well, I, I think it's I mean, I think it's interesting that they've taken our term. I mean, it's not our turn, but um, this whole thing everywhere in the world now, there's the gig economy, which yeah. basically means 
I, as an employer, only have to hire you for a few hours and I don't care. So there's no insurance. There's no, I mean, the tax over here, it's very, I've done my first taxes this year. So it's very confusing compared to the U.S. where we can do loads of like write-offs and everything you do counts towards something. Here it's like, uh, that's too much. <laughs> You're like, but it's what I did, you know? And then they pay you back your tax money. If you haven't worked enough, uh, it's very, uh, a lot of weirdness. But yeah, um, the job thing is, it's just what it is. You just, <coughs> you just have to adapt. Yeah. What I've, you what know. I've found is like, and I'm not, I've spoken to um, work coaches and things like that um, through it. And I've took advice here and there and I've done a lot of courses, um, added to my CV, doing a lot of free courses and things like that, which are available for you when you speak to the people that put you in the, the right direction to find them, you know? Um, yeah. But like this this podcast for example um that that came from an idea and and literally a work coach going do that you know we'll we'll support yeah. back, back yourself you know do you um keep releasing the songs start start your podcast um get back into your sort of seo knowledge and that kind of stuff and and and, and we're happy for you to you know bet on yourself for a bit until this is all over and I, it, it, it's exactly. I, I find it really inspiring to be honest you know it, it's been it's been really supportive and cool um but yeah we'll, we'll get there at some point I, I think it's gonna be a long while till we see people back in a, a filled room or how, how they're gonna yeah. do it you know um, well I, I laugh i laugh because you know there's people on the, the threads on in, on the internet are like uh, oh i've gotten called for my first gig this summer and it's like yeah but we all got called for gigs in january we all got called gigs in December and November and every time it's been, sorry, sorry, you know? So, I mean, I, I, I used to be, I mean, you've always kind of probably known me as the guy who is looking forward and trying to find that what's yeah. going to, what's going to click, you know, I want to be part of that. I want to, and in the pandemic, I don't get depressed or I'm not that guy, but uh, at the same time, I, I'm taking things at face value now, not the way I used to. You know, it used to be, hey, man, there's this gig that would be, okay, great. And I would go and work on the material and just kind of have it. And then it would be like, oh, either you didn't get it or it's not happening. Well, we, you had, know? We, we, we had bookings that we were looking at doing together, didn't we? And they all got, yeah. they, they all got bid. You yeah. Know, I like... mean, it was literally, we literally started talking last December, January. No, last, two years ago now. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it was like, oh, yeah, that we'll do that. Oh, yeah, I, I'm in, I'm in. Well, I mean, I had... I mean, I, I do a bit of the um, tribute circuit, which is great, but it's funny because some guys do one tribute. I'm the guy they call when, uh, hey, man, can you come do the Prince thing? Can you do the Queen thing on Friday? Can you, you know? So I was like, I had four or five bass players that were moving up the ladder that were calling me going, I've got loads of stuff for you. So last summer, I had already like penciled in loads and was doing some stuff. I've got a... Uh, there's a rock band I'm working with called the TR5s. And we put out a couple of uh, tracks, covers, and I've been producing them and recording them. And then uh, we've got an offer from a record label to do a vinyl. They'll print the vinyl and do a couple of tunes. Now we just need to have the time to get in and do it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But that was, uh, I mean, you know, the diversity side, the recording is part of, for me, is the diversity. I never thought I would be doing that. I did it in Nashville when I had my basement and it was a studio in a, you know, I didn't understand the idea that I don't need a mixing board 
<laughs> that confused me. It's in the box now. It's in the box. Yeah, yeah, it <laughs> yeah. is. It is. Yeah. I mean, it's great. I mean, I even love, you know, I put, I do the thing where I've got my tablet up on one side with the, with the faders and I'm like, this is really cool. Yeah, I should, I should do that. Actually, I should do that just for, oh, it's good. It's, it's, it's really fun to do the, I mean, the dual screen thing is what it is. I was doing like two and three screens at one time. I've cut it down just one screen because I, I get sent tracks, you yeah. know, somebody like you would send me the drums, the guitar, everything semi-mixed. So, so if you open up my logic, it doesn't look like 50 tracks. I don't have that Jacob Collier, like 287 tracks that are all this big, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. one track that says track. Then it'll yeah. say click, and then I put in the bass. And it's easier, it's, isn't it? Oh, it's, it's great. Easier. You know, I, I do like. I, was, I watch some crazy videos on this. All, all all the production stuff. I mean, YouTube's amazing for like. Oh yeah. Watching like produce like a pro or anything like that, and just to get those little tips. So I was watching one the other day, and it's this guy, and I think he's he does like um mix surgery, and he dresses up like a doctor and stuff. I can't remember the name. <laughs> I, I actually oh, they're great. Know. I subscribed to his channel the other day, but but he, he was he was breaking down how to get the um, the mutt lang effects, and it, it's yeah. so, it's so funny, but it's so clever, but so funny. Yeah, and he's like doing, okay, how do we do the the big Def Leppard, Brian Adams, Shania Twain background vocal? Okay, we'll do this, and literally he records himself saying "Hey," where the snare is, right? Yeah, eight times. And then records it another eight times in the you do sorry, do eight times low hay, you'll do eight times um middle hay and eight times high hay, right? So he's <laughs> he's already got like twenty-four tracks up there just of hay, like a little yeah. block of hay. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then he'll go in and he'll detune um each one by a couple of cents and up tune. So he'll have four of each down by nine cents, four of each up <laughs> by nine cents. Then he'll pan hard left and right because it's like that one goes left, that one goes right, and then he puts it all over the snare. So every time the snare hits, you get this massive hey, <laughs> and, and it's like that's cool, but I really haven't got the time to do that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know. One off. Um, I must have an alarm set or something. Um, so he, so but, he, did, uh, he did that, but he's like, yeah. But it gets back to like the old Mutt Lang thing with his stereo, isn't it? Let's uh, let's not record that chord. Let's record it one string at a time. Yeah. Well, but the thing yeah. is, you know, you love it because they do that, and then I mean, I've luckily been in the studio with Mutt Lang, mm. and you you know you you're, you're in that. I was in Nashville recording, and you've got Mutt Lang producing, but that you've got the co-producers that really run the band. I mean, not always, but, you know, with us, it was like the co-producer. We never even knew who was doing the track. And, you know, again, nowadays, it can be sent to you on the Internet and you go, wow, that's what I played on. That sounds amazing. You know, these albums I did last year, I played with guitar tracks. I had one that the guy played acoustic guitar. I didn't hear anything. When I got it back, it was like gospel choir. And, you know, I'm like, this is great. But back then, you didn't get a copy of the tape at the end of the track. It was like, that's on so-and-so's album. Oh, <laughs> you know, like, okay. better go and buy it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, you know, it's like, all right. Yeah, we had, um, but yeah, so, you know, that whole thing, uh, that would be three or four days of Mutt doing something. Now it's like, you know, and I don't even know why the guy did uh, a track each 
for that, usually most people nowadays do one track of each and then just copy it and then do everything, you know? Yeah. So there is, and I'm, when I do it, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm always fighting myself to go, well, that verse is good. I'll just copy that and use that guitar part. I always try and play, <laughs> play a different one, you know, because it's, it's yeah. so easy to go like, oh, there's a chorus. I'll record a chorus. There's a verse. I'll record a verse. There's a bridge. Okay. Chop, chop, chop. Copy, yeah. paste, copy, paste, crossfade song done but I, I try i try and record it so because at least i know if nobody else does that that second chorus that second verse is a different yeah recording to the first one so what are you well doing? i mean I, what are you using to track then gear wise uh, well, uh software wise or what do you mean uh gear wise oh everything yeah. i've got uh well i kind of right at the end of your tenure I got into, uh, I was going to, I wanted to buy some fenders or I wanted to buy something like a fenders. And uh, I, actually we were in LA and uh, uh, for the NAMM show. And one of the guys at Yamaha said, uh, you know what I've got? I've got one of the old blazer P bases. And I went, oh yeah, that old eighties stuff. So I started digging in and I realized that there's a whole, era that I didn't really pay attention to because I had the jazz bass and the P bass, but not always a fan. I was always a fan of all the more technical, crazy stuff. You were the, the first guy in the UK to get a seven string, weren't you? Seven string bass. Uh, yeah, 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 which, yeah, that's somewhere. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, mo mostly people want to hear P basses or jazz basses. Yeah. You know, that's what, and that's become the thing, hasn't it? If you watch every rock band, they're all going back to the old 70s style yeah, thing. You, you, so, still, you still see quite a few uh, music music mans as well, didn't you? But that's in, yeah. the, same, that's in the same boat, really, isn't it? So, yeah, and that's one of those bases I never really enjoyed the sound of. Uh, it's sad. I enjoy hearing people play it, and I go, wow, they get a great sound. But I never did it. I was more of a jazz and a P-bass guy. So what I've done is I've ended up collecting Ibanez and Tokai P and Js from the, from the 70s. Yeah. So I've got, I actually have, I'll grab it. I actually have a P bass. You can see, yeah. no name on the headstock. It's a 1970s Ibanez, but it's originally from the um, Fujigen factory. Right, okay. um, and supposedly the guy I got it from in the States this was one of the ones Leo Fender turned down to let them build the bases. All right, okay. So, so you know, the, the mojo on it is is that it had some had some actual Leo on it, but it sounds great. I got it in the mail, and I never was a massive P bass fan, and I played it, and I went, "Why have I never won one of these?" You know, so it can be just, it can just be that particular one, can't it? Because I'm I'm the same well, with, with Strats and Tellys. You know, it's like. Yeah. You sometimes just I, the last one I got from a from a store. It was when I was looking after mom. Actually, was pushing the wheelchair around in in Mariel Center. There was a music shop there which had a Fender uh, Fender dealership in there. And literally, I just by walking past and feeling the back of a, a neck. That's all I did. I was like, I like that. And then yeah. it, it ended up being my favorite strap. Um, just, and it was just that's all it took. I just put my hand on the back of the neck and I was like, hey, wow, okay, you know. Oh yeah, it's it's. So, it, I mean, it's crazy. This came and, you know, I wanted it to say Ibanez on it because that's, you know, how it was being sold. But again, it goes back to the, the Made in Japan stuff. So all the tags have the Made in Japan. The Tokai stuff I got, I picked up one of the uh, 
early, early 79, 78 fretlesses that they made. And I've had them over the years. You buy it, you get rid of it. It's that Jocko thing for us bass players, but you know, the, the, the cheaper version, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, but they sound great. And uh, uh, so I did all, I, you know, picked it up and I mean, it was nothing. It was super cheap. And the guy had had it, it felt like it had barely been played. So it still feels almost new. And so that's been great. But uh, the best one, I've got, got a show. It's my favorite laugh. And I think I told you this story. When I saw you at the NAMM show. Back in the day. I'll, I can Back put, in the day. I'll, I'll, put, I'll, put, I'll put a photo, a few photos up on this. Uh, yeah, yeah. Us, us at NAMM. Well, this is the first one I got. Now, you look at all the toys. It does, all the toys are new on it. This is the first one I got. It says Ibanez. Very yeah. cool. It's very marred, very messed up. I bought it in the United States and had it shipped to the UK, which cost a couple of pennies, but it was like, whatever, it's worth it. I can't wait to get it. It looks great. My tech calls me after it gets here because I had it sent to him. He calls me and I'm heading to Madeira uh, to do uh, a teaching session and um, some recording. So uh, on, on my YouTube channel, there's a, uh, a version of just the two of us and uh, another song, uh, Room 335, the Carlton song that I did with the uh, teachers at the university. We do it on the rooftop of yeah. the place. It's great. But I got this bass. The tech calls me and he goes, uh, Eric, um, the bass came. And I said, great. I said, to open it up. Let me know. I don't want to open it till you get here. And I said, okay. He said, uh, I said, yeah. So it came in a gig bag, right? And he goes, yeah. I went, okay. And he goes, with the address sticker on it. It came from Texas to Southampton in a gig bag, in a gig bag with literally my name stuck on the, <laughs> the address, stuck on the outside. There was, it had a little bit of like bubble wrap in it, but I was like, so I grab it from him. I'm heading out to Madeira. I grab it. And now at this point, I knew it was coming. So I ordered a badass bridge that I, one of the old, I'm a massive 80s fan, so all of my bridges on my jazzes are uh, the badass. And I, I love the chrome crazy stuff. <laughs> so I throw the badass bridge on it. Now, I'm, I, I open it up. It looks fine. It looks exactly the way it does right now. Um, had the original pickups in it and the original tuners. And I had a hip shot waiting. So I, I use the hip shots on all my four strings. Yeah. Massive fan of those. because you tuner yeah, the D tuner. That's why the D tuner on your uh, on your EVH, yeah. EH, EVH. I never yeah. my listicsia just kicked in. Um, but uh, so I just like uh, okay. I throw a set of strings on it. I put some DRs on it. I put the badass bridge on it. I set it up on the way to Madeira. I do the session. I haven't done anything to it since except. Uh, the badass bridge and adding the bell and the hip shot. Other than that, it's exactly the way it came out of the gig bag. <laughs> so it's obviously, it's obviously pretty stable if it's made it that many miles. Oh, it? Yep. It, it stays in tune. The detuner is always where it needs to be. So yeah, but again, I mean, you're, you're going to buy a '70s Fender for a couple of grand, you know. And this came out of '74. It looks exactly like all of them, built right off the specs. And yeah. it stays in tune and it plays great. It's a perfect so you can't tune. really argue. 
No, they're good. They're all they're all good toys. They're all I'll, good toys. I'll, I'll show you something that's, that'll make you laugh. Now I'll show you my tracking base. Hold on. Yeah. Oh yeah. Is that the Epiphone one or the Gibson one? It's the Epiphone. But where's yeah. the where's the knobs? Oh yeah. Was that the Nikki Six one or whatever? Yeah. It's just got a kill switch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's it. There's no knobs. It's, it's just a right. uh, Mate, is your bass on? Click. Yeah, that's on. <laughs> and I, I, but the, 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 the one sound it's got is great. <laughs> you know, it's really Oh, yeah. Bad. And do you know why oh, yeah. it's particularly good as well? For a, If I'm recording just a dry DI bass track, it's always a great signal. It's just yeah. nice and fat and it works. I mean, it's got this kind of weird thing for your little finger, apparently, that he uses. <laughs> that's there. Um, but it's literally just got one knob on it. But yeah, it's the it's the it's the it's the, it's the Epiphone Six. Um, but as, oh, a, yeah. as a tracking bass, it's great. It's got the oh deep, yeah Gibson pickups in it. It's got deep, they, deep deep six ones on it. Yeah, yeah, they always sound great. I mean, I have to say, I mean, I, I again, I um, I was really lucky. Oh, it's all right. I'll be back. You're fine. Yeah, I'm gonna put my <laughs> I'm gonna put my bass up while you're. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> He's back. That was the, the, that was the uh, the Nikki Six bass whacking the table, and then literally the camera went whoop. Wow! Too much too much rock for the uh, for it's the camera. I think it's I think it's because you called it a knob, but that's beside the point. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just, I got, I got, I, that, that's the only bass I've used for doing all the recording because literally it's it's all right. It's got one sound, but because I run it through mainly Helix, I've got lots of different textures I can. Yeah do with it so as long as it gets me a good consistent sig signal well, that's I'm, it. I'm happy you know well that i mean i got into the thing last year where the studio guy in me kicked in as the bass player and you know so i've got the p bass which tends to be when i do tracks for somebody i'll do a jazz bass and a p bass exactly the same and i'll send them both tracks and go which one do you want nine times out of ten they pick the p bass i don't know why it just happens um but uh, I, I do use the um, the S uh, the, the BTB fourteen oh five that you graciously gave me as my first bass from your side, yeah. um, and I still have that. That's probably my favorite bass, and part of it's because of the Carrie Nordstrand pickups. Yeah, um, you know that was the first series of the BTBs they did them on, and it was I loved them, and my all of my P basses and. Two of my jazz basses are all Nordstrom pickups. Carrie was gracious enough to get me all the toys and make sure I had them. And I have to say, that made the difference for me. The sound is just phenomenal. Yeah. It sounds original, but it's clean. You, you don't have that fuzziness that you maybe get from some of the old vintage stuff, you know? Yeah, have you ever tried any of the... Um, so I know when we got together with doing the Ibanez and, and Laney stuff, that they were, they were actually trying a few different things out with the bass range when they were expanding, trying some different shapes, trying some different... Like, yeah. And you, well, you, were, you were a champion for those, really, the, the sort of more modern stuff. Well, yeah, um, actually, it's funny when you say that because um, uh, Ben, um, I won't think of his last name all of a sudden, is like the... He's still the guy playing. Do you remember the GT 105 mm. and 104 and 106? It was that jazz bass with that really funky round body. Yeah. And, and it was one of the ones I wanted, but you like only had like two and you were like, ah, oh, well, maybe when we get more in and they've gone away. But it's funny because 
I quite like them. Yeah, I went through a whole period. I got uh, some of the ergodines. I picked up, um, you know, in my Ibanez quest. Terra uh, firma. But the affirm, well, it's really funny because I had an original affirma back in the early 90s. Yeah. When uh, Ralph originally did it. And it was a five string. And I liked it. But it was a bit skinny or thin for me. And it's the same. The SRs, I love the SRs, but they're, I find them really thin. I just kind of like that chunk. The, the BTB, I mean, you sent me that BTB 1405. I did that thing for Music Radar. Yeah. And I had an SR, the acoustic, and the BTB. And there was a TRX or whatever that was that was kind of like an old road star. Yeah, and uh, I just remember, I remember taking the BTB to a session in London and thinking, I really hate this body design. I just don't think it's, uh, and I played it and went, this is the best bass. This is it. You know, I mean, this is like, it was weighted. It felt comfortable. It has a fendery vibe in the sense that the, 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 the strap puts you right where it needs to be for the right level. And that's why I said the 1405. It just sticks out. It seems to be the active base I use for everything. Yeah. But uh, I also blame Carrie. <laughs> I think Nordstrand just does an amazing pickup. So, did but yeah, in saying that, uh, good. Did you try any of the fan fret stuff? Yeah, uh, I yeah I, I did, and I think you and I had this conversation at Nam, uh, and I think actually Mike Taff was in on this conversation because it was right when. They found out they could no longer call it the SRF. They had to start calling it a multi, an SMS. Multi-scale. Yeah. Scale, yeah. yeah. Because the SRFF fan fret was owned by Novax Guitars, which in turn is owned by Sheldon Dingwall. And I have to say, Sheldon and I have been friends for a long time. And I think... I think I told you, I went over to see Sheldon and he walked over to me and he goes, did you have anything to do with them making a fan fret? And I went, no, no, no. Actually, they play great. Um, I did see, I think it's Thundercat has a fan fret BTB, mm. which is a one-off. And that's the only base I wish they maybe would have done it in because the SR is great, but it's just the body shape. Yeah, it's not for you. See. Yeah. No, it's not my, and I, I can't even figure out why, because I used to love the SRs. That was actually, I mean, you, the SR, uh, I had a 505 that, that we did, and I love that bass. I used it on everything. It was Bartolini's. It was everything. And then it was literally just that BTB. As soon as I put it on, I just went, why have I never played this? Yeah, you know? it's, a, it's the thing with, with, with the Ibanez, a really cool at picking that, putting a lot of lot of research time into, into styling and body shapes and ergonomics. Oh, where, yeah. you look, where you look at it on a shelf and think that's really, really weird. But as soon as it's in the playing position, it, it's the best yeah. thing. It, it's, it's every little detail's thought out, isn't it? You know what I mean? It's, it's, oh, yeah. Well, know. they're new fan frets. The new fan frets, which are the EHBs, I think, yeah. um, they're, they're the headless. And people are talking, they're getting raved. I mean, Sweetwater um, put the, the, fifth, it was the 1506 um, in the top 10 best bases of last year. Right. You know, I mean, it, and, it, you know, price range, 1200 1500 it's still inexpensive for that. Because if you get a Dingwall, you're talking about, 
1800 for a used one yeah and that's if you're lucky most of them are two grand and 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 that's and when we talk about that that's the nolly models the uh bolt-on basic you get into the i mean i had an original zed six the first one he ever made and i mean touch wood i was lucky what i paid for it and what it really cost but i think that thing's like seven grand now madness you know so yeah ibanez has done it but of course now you've got court has taken the uh, i mean between you and i we know they're all made in the same like factory one mile one mile block yeah. <laughs> which is the factory um um but court came out with the um sr single cutaway base body with the fan frets and i thought that was quite a cool concept and they've done well with that you know but courts stepped up in the business too. They all have. If you're an inexpensive company that makes somewhat cheap stuff and easy to get for the youngsters, you're making money. Last year, I mean, I was I was looking last night because I'm, I'm still a complete gear nerd, and I literally will just oh, yeah. sit for hours looking at stuff. I mean, the big sort of online retailers in the UK. Let's let's pick gear for music, for example. Yeah. With their own guitar brand and okay it's you know it's either a gear for music or it's a sub-zero but if you look at that you can actually go in because they've obviously got big buying power with these factories direct and if you look exactly. at that that they're, they're, you, you can get a multi-scale headless guitar or bass with a roasted maple neck yeah of their, of their brand for like 240 quid oh yeah well i mean uh, i mean with insane, know, with insane specs it's like the harley benton stuff the know? harley benton stuff you know i mean it, it, and you know how that all started out you were there i mean uh or you weren't there but i mean basically toman was a warehouse for every company in the world yeah and then they started going well we're gonna we have a music store that we're connected to so not only are we going to be the fender ibanez gibson blah 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 warehouse for europe we're also going to start selling the stuff well, it was easy for them because they could hang one, one of everything on the wall and somebody comes in and goes, oh, yeah, I like that one. All right, we have one new in a box. And they went across the street to a warehouse and pulled it out. And then they would just pay each company as they did it. So they had the perfect deal. We're going to put all the stuff in your warehouse. And if you sell it, just pay us. OK. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then the Harley Benton stuff. I mean, yeah, they, they've got a 51 style P base that is calling for 90 quid. Yeah, I saw you know, it. I saw it. It, it. You know, I mean, I, I had a 51 style uh, Squire S thing. It had a different neck on it, but it was great body. And I just wanted to get rid of it. I wasn't using it. Well, I couldn't sell it for more than a Harley Benton selling for because who's going to buy a used base when you can buy that, you know, and it should for, well, funny enough, that's one of the bases. And there's two guitars I think they still have. There's more than that that really look great, but it's under the 100-pound limit, so you still have to pay for shipping. Right. Well, it, do you know what? It's, the it's way, like, the way I look at it. Buy strings. <laughs> yeah. The way, the way I look at it, though, if, if you like, in what I've been doing for the last sort of nine months, with the, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have got to a position over the years where I've, I've literally bought things along the way, and I've, I've got my... Yeah. my, my tools as a palette you know if, I, if you need a les yeah. paul there's a les paul you know it's like exactly it's, it's but for someone that's making um a living doing remote recording and needs a certain tool for a task why wouldn't you just go i need a 335 oh. type type thing well yeah. I'll, I'll get a harley benton for like 150 quid and change oh yeah well it, there's it, a it's, great it's that vibe isn't it you can still get a tell you can you can, you need a tele type vibe you can get one for 90 quid 
You yeah. Know, and, if, and if you want to put the time into the setup, which I'm, I, from what I hear, they've, they've set up pretty well. Um, oh, yeah. Well, but, I was going to say yeah. there's a guy, Miles Grindy, that I did his album last year, and he's got a YouTube site. And he's he was a massive Ibanez guy. He's got one of the roasted, uh, you know, fingerboard neck, uh, one uh, of the... The AZs. Yeah. yeah, one yeah. of the ACs. And it sounds great because he's got all the great, um, you know, all the great stuff here, all yeah. the plugins make. I mean, the, the song that I'm on, it's an all um, pretty much instrumental album and I'm doing fretless and he's playing, you know, that rock guitar thing, you know, that it, it just sounds great. And it's hilarious because he used that and he used a Harley Benton on it, yeah. uh, the Harley Benton headless. And he ordered it and he thought, I'll get it because he really liked the, uh, excuse me, the, uh, what is it? The uh, Sandberg, Sandbergs? Strandbergs. Strand, there's Strandberg guitars and yeah. Sandberg basses. I get yeah, yeah. The, the Strandberg. He really wanted one. And basically, it's exactly that guitar. And all he did is I think he changed the pickups in it, which he ordered the pickups that were the upgrades and you just get them in a box with it and they're all, it's all plugged now, you know, like EMGs, it's all. Yeah, it's just a connect. Unscrew it, plug it in. You don't have to rewire or solder or anything like we used to. Yeah. <laughs> I, oh, that's, I'm buying these seventies bases. I have to do all the work. It's like, yeah. you know, it used yeah. to be so easy. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's it. I mean, the Harley Benton stuff, they've just come out with a whole rung of amps and, you know, the bass amp is getting raved. Their little tiny bass amp as one of the coolest things you can buy because it's got a USB out. It's got all the things on it that you can do remote recording. And when it's time to play live, it's live. Are you using amps to record at the moment? Actually, you'll have a really good laugh because you and I were part of this whole process. So and that's, that's I, good. That's, that's pro. That's I, pro, you, pro, were pro you were there. You were there. I want to so show you, but uh, what I might have to do is move the, uh, the camera down. Yeah, don't worry. Don't but, worry. But my, uh, well, actually, it's quite good because I can show you a couple of things. I use the Carrie Nordstrand um, Starlifter as one of my preamps that I love. And again, Carrie's just been a great friend and a great guy. He's, he's brilliant. They make these crazy things that I use on my bases. The Nordstrand Bass Mutes. Right, okay. And that gets that thuggy sound and they do different woods and it's quite nice, but that's one thing. But yes, there's an amp that I was happily brought into Laney to have some input on. And I am very lucky to say that I still use it. I use the mini though, which I, you weren't there when I got the mini, but the you, it, it, yeah, the SLS uh, 500 and it's amazing. And I'm going to do this and see if this works. see everything yep so i've got the laney sls nexus small head which is great because it's got a, the octave and chorus and everything built in so i've got some natural effects that i can use if i want there's carrie's deal which yep. is brilliant and then over here for the live sound i mic up the laney sls 112 cap all right cool so okay. yes i am still a yeah, I'm still a uh, Laney lover. <laughs> and that story, actually, um, in saying that, I also have an amp sitting up here that I use to mic, which is my Promethean Ibanez 110. 
It's the same one I sent you 10 years ago. Yeah, because you couldn't get it fixed, could you? Because the, Yeah, the, I brought it over. Continued it and you brought it with you. Yeah. I brought it with me because it was one of the things Ibanez gave me in the States when I really loved it because it was just a great little amp. And what's funny is I've gone through the whole thing. I owned three of them. I owned all the extension cabinets. I've done everything lately and then sold it and just kept the single 10. But I still have the 210 and 15 um, uh, uh, Nexus cabs. So I've still got all of that. And I've still got one of the, uh, the 1000s, the SOS Studio Live that I uh, use yeah, for my yeah. live gigs. So I'm still, I still love the Laney stuff. And this cab, I have to say, um, I mic it up with the uh, Sontronics uh, DM mics and uh, it just sounds huge. It gets that real old Ampeg sound, you know, especially when you're using old basses, but it's great because it's got, uh, I'll do my selling routine for two seconds, not really, but uh, I use it direct out. So I do a DI out of it. Yeah, and I do uh, the mic, so I'm getting the split signal. And the other nice thing is, when this all started, I had no idea how to record. I remembered, wait, there's a USB out <laughs> on the Laney, so I went and plugged in the mini head, <clears throat> and that's actually how I did my first tracks because I had no idea what an interface was. I was like, well, it can be your interface, can't it? You know, that's, that's <laughs> yeah. Cool and it's great because you can reamp with it too, as you know. It's like you can do the, you can do the two plugs in if you want. So in a sense, it was my early plug-in. I like figured out how to do everything with it. Um, but now I'm off to a lot of stuff. I mean, I did. I mostly that's how I go direct in. I like to mic. I did a video on my YouTube channel of basically talking about how uh, Carol Kay and the upright players in LA used to do the double tracking. So there'd be electric bass and double bass playing the exact same thing. So I've done uh, a thing with the band TR5s uh, where I did uh, the tracks are all recorded double bass and electric. So you get that, you know, so it's quite cool. That's a cool system, man. It's like, yeah, with me recording, I don't really get the, well, I don't think Lucy would really be too chuffed with me or the neighbours if I started micing up my tube amps, but... Well, that's it, you know. I've just found that the, the well, I use the Helix stuff anyway for, for gigging when we were, because yeah. obviously we're working with the duo when I've got a backing track um, and live vocal, so I've got bass and drums and keys on a backing track that using the Helix works great, so I can go straight into the desk and be in that mix with it. Exactly. You know, and, it, and, it, and it works great, but for recording, it's a godsend because there's... There's, well, there's two, there's that many options, but I'm very sort of hard on myself with, I don't tend to record dry tracks anymore. I'm old school. Oh, okay. Because I don't want to spend three weeks. Well, that's it. And, and, well, and, and, and reamping, and, 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 and finding a plug in. You know what oh. I mean? And having, and having too many options. What I tend to do yeah. is I'll, I'll get the tone that I really like and I'll print it. And I'll be like, yeah. okay, there might be a little bit of EQ that I do later. Uh, mainly it's just an easy mix plugin by Randy Stav, which I really love called um, Guitar EQ and all that does. Oh, nice. It, it just, it's just one plugin and it, it takes, it takes away what you don't want and puts a bit more into what you do want. And that's it. You know, yeah. just, that's, that's my guitar tracking system. And then same on the bass. I use a Randy Stav preset on the bass. So we'll, I will record maybe using an, an Ampeg. Or oh, there's a really good setting that we've been using. Um, it's because Billy Sheehan had his old Pierce preamp. 
yes modeled into helix because he wanted yeah, I, he, he wanted to use it was old and it was from the 80s wasn't it the, the, oh yeah yeah it was great i had one of those they were great preamps yeah well it's in the helix he, he basically yeah you know, on youtube he took it to line six and they, they modeled it and put it in the helix and they give you that for free as an update so we've actually used the sheehan um well, that's good right? and it's such a things. it's very crispy it's very crispy it's got yeah. some nice edge to it it, it is it yeah is quite, it's quite it's quite a it's quite a strange sound really but it sits in a mix yeah really good. but even on that well, the only, it, only thing on bass i'll do is i'll, I'll literally use a randy style um, setting which is bass room compression dial to taste yeah that's it you know i try and steer clear of too many options i mean the op just because they're all there doesn't mean you have to use them you know what i mean it's no like, no like, well that was it was a bit like miking, miking the amps. Uh, I contacted Sontronics Mics, it, funny enough, right before lockdown really happened. It had nothing to do with recording. Uh, they have a couple of great mics. Uh, the DM for, for bass drum is also bass amps and double bass. And I was looking to be able to go to some studios of my mates with a miking system so that I had a good setup. Yeah. And uh, so as soon as everything kicked in and all the Sontronic stuff is basically handmade, you know? So when you order one, they might say, uh, yeah, have it out tomorrow. Oh, it's going to take a month because we've got to get two more parts in and we got to build it. So a couple of things had to be built and then, uh, they sent it to me and I had gone through loads of plugins trying to find some bass sounds. Mm -hmm. And I was using, uh, the, the Nexus head and all of a sudden, the mic came and I just put it in front of the, the SLS 112 and I went, oh, that's it. So, yeah, I mean, the bad thing is I live in flats, too. So it's not like the neighbors probably love me, but I, I try to I try to work the studio like it's the business. So I try to only work between 10 in the morning and four when I'm doing that stuff. If I'm doing the computer stuff, you can do it whenever with the headphones. Yeah. But uh but yeah, no, it's, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, I live in, I've got, I'm looking, I'm in a detached house, but still, yeah. I, I also realize how loud I need stuff to get, to get my tone. And that's not going to be. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, I mean, it's the saturation side. Well, that, uh, Miles. Uh, power amp, power amp, the power amp needs to be used, man. So, you know, well, exactly. Yeah. Well, the problem is if you underpower it, it's not good for it anyway, is it? I mean. You know, you don't you don't take out you don't take out your big tube amp for a I quick just, practice I just, session. I just, I just hate I just hate <laughs> the sound of like you know when people are really really drive a preamp really really hard and get fizzy and don't 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 yeah. turn it up. You know, it's 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 a give and take between the power amp and the preamp. The, the power amp gives you the balls. You know. Yeah, exactly. Van Halen one wouldn't sound as good as it was if it let, unless the <laughs> unless the power amp wasn't on ten. You know? Exactly. <laughs> you exactly. Know? Well, that's it. You know, I mean. Uh, it, it, it's just about finding the tones. That's why, I mean, the 12 is great. I use the 110 Promethean once in a while. Uh, when I first started it, I, I was, uh, I didn't really know how to make the headphones and everything work because I had my laptop. I was saying to you, and, and I got an inexpensive, you know, recording program. Well, I was going through my mate's mixer to hear things and one channel to record, like I had 10 cables going into one interface thing. <laughs> like, is this working? And it would be like, if you tapped your laptop, like, uh, sorry, you don't have any plugin. Uh, what do you mean? So, but I did that, went through a lot of plugins and then I started realizing, but I had the 210 and the 15 up for a while in the corner. Yeah. And that's how I heard the bass as I was recording it. I don't really know why. It was just like, I'm plugged into the thousand watt head. I may as well use the whole rig. Well, <laughs> I'm in here going, well. doom, 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 doom. That's all you can hear because I got headphones.
Well, the other side of it, there's me like creating like my dream rig, but actually only using models of the real stuff I've actually got because I do that. Oh yeah, I, I, it's because oh, I've got it's a great, re- isn't it? Because I've got a reference for it. You know, yeah. I mean, even down to impulse responses, I I use I, I purchased the Celestian official impulse responses of the speakers that I have in my cabs because yeah. You know what it does. I know what it does. You know, and it's, yeah. so, so all I really do is recreate what I've already, what I can do in physical. I recreate in digital. If you get me, yeah, It'll be exactly oh, no. the same things. No, no, no. I mean, and I probably would do more of that if I was doing more of the production side. When I'm producing, I I tend to do use a few things. Um, uh, when I the few tracks I produced last year, I you know used some of the plugins. I mean, of course, for vocals and a lot of other stuff. Mm-hmm. But I had such the nicest. Um, you know, I, I kind of, I did this thing with the TR5s uh, and I we I took all of the stuff that you've just seen. The, uh, I, take, I took the uh, EIEs and all of that and Sontronics was, and they are, um, lovely people down here in Bournemouth area, all handmade in the UK, great mics. They set me up with every mic I needed for a full drum kit, Wow! for vocals. Uh, I mean, I've got overheads and I've got one of their STS-2s and the 30s. You know, they just sorted me out. It was great. Anything I needed shipped right to me. They were great. So I went in and we just recorded the whole band. And then I brought it back here and I did it. And we sent it for the mastering uh, to Peter in London. And I said, uh, look, you know, I mean, uh, it's the first time I had ever done anything fully on you know, logic, uh, like you said, you're learning, you're tweaking. I was trying to find, you know, plugins that I liked, but I'm an old school guy too, where I don't want too much overkill. I want it to sound really as good as it can right off the bat. And I sent it to him and he said, uh, yeah, I can have this in a couple of days, mastered. I went, okay. So he was doing this stuff and he called me and he goes, could you send me the vocal track without anything on it? I went, oh yeah, is, is it bad? And he went, no, no, it, it, everything's exactly where it should be. He said, when I listen to it through my speakers, it sounds like a live band playing. He said, but if I can get it natural, I can double some things and give you some bigger vocal sound. I went, oh, because I hadn't even thought about how to do that. You know, like playing with it, but still trying to like, I still, when I record a band, and when I'm trying to, when I, when I produce a band, the engineer usually is the guy going, oh, yeah, we should try this. Oh, yeah, okay, good. Show me what you think it should be, you know. And usually they're right because I don't always know all the toys that are available. But this guy sent it back and it sounded great. And we've been getting loads of plays on loads of the internet radio stations for the, like, you know, rockabilly, uh, uh, cavern clubby kind of stuff. And the, the, the guys that send the information back to DJs, I'm always freaked out because I'm just like, well, I, I did something good. <laughs> well, 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 so through, through, the, through modern technology, we could actually put a little bit of uh, the video directly into this podcast. <laughs> you know? Well, exactly. Well, well, I, we've got a couple of the videos aren't as uh, good as the uh, stuff. We did some lockdown videos with the band, which were hilarious because um, God love our drummer. You know, he's, he's a young kid and he lives in a place where he can't play the drums. So he brings his snare into the bedroom and he like just kind of taps it. And I've got like my double bass. So me, I'm like, yeah, the guitar players are, we're all doing our bits, vocalist. And the vocalist works for BBC in the uh, automation area. 
So she does all kinds of stuff. So she takes the videos into work and turns them into these colorful, crazy things. But I'll send you some links yeah, anyway, because cool. I'm sure you'll want some toys to put up with whatever. Yeah, I was like, but, uh, I was like, when well, I put some photos up from us at Nam as well. Well, speaking of, yeah, I, I really, really miss the trade show. Oh. You know, yeah, sorry, we got to get to that because this pretty, stuff but is like. But I'm, but I'm pretty sure everybody misses the trade shows now. And, oh yeah, and, and is there is, is there a future for it for that model? When's it going to you know can it get, well can it get? I, I, I think it was not a great reception for the viral or uh, the virtual, excuse me, this year. Um, but a lot of the companies that I spoke to, my mates that were artist relations and things like that. They really liked it because they didn't spend five grand a day. You know, we I mean, know what it costs. You know, it's five hundred. It's, it's five hundred dollars to have the carpet cleaned at your booth. It's it's you know, it's astronomical. In fact, it's it's actually unrealistic massively. And I think a lot of the people oh, yeah. on the uh, the guitar pages on YouTube, whatever, and their channels really don't understand the costs involved in putting no. that trade show on. And how, well, that's the thing is how broken the, the model is, you know, that, you know, you can't do that yourself. We need a union guy to do that. And he needs to call that yeah. guy. And you need to pay this much just to put a power strip in and things well, like that. And, I don't, and they, okay. they also don't seem to realize, I mean, when you were with Laney and Ibanez, Ibanez took care of a lot of the, the heavies that come in and do things. You know, I mean, the year that I was there with you and I played with um, Peter Erskine when they re-brought out his drum set. You know, and I walked over and we brought the, you know, brought the Laney amp over. And of course, the, the two guys from Ibanez are like, uh, can you not use the uh, Promethean? <laughs> and you're yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. So I like a Laney next to a Promethean, you know, it's like, oh, yeah. we'll do it both. Um, but, uh, you know, nobody seems to realize they walk by a booth, somebody like Peter Erskine's playing or you've got Steve Vai, or you've got anybody standing in that room. I mean, you used to bring loads of guys in, you know, and there's some of us that were there and it was, we'll take care of your room and food. And then there's other artists that live in LA and they don't leave the house unless they get paid. Mm -hmm. You know, so people don't realize that, that that ticket that they pay for or the free pass they get from their music store mate, um, you know, is barely paying for anything. The guy's selling flutes and and reeds over in the other area are making no money uh they're barely getting by to show off their reeds and hope that one guy comes and buys a year's supply yeah. i mean you guys are putting money up for artists to come in and you know that's that's the beginning of it six months from the show uh is there any way we can get steve to walk by the booth and play a few notes you know it's yeah. you know and, and i'm not saying that vi and, and gilbert and all those guys none of those guys are big-headed crazy you know they're not asking for millions but but you and i both know there are guys that ask for a lot to do it i mean dean markley back in the day we used to have at one point dean markley had everybody we had steve vi neil Schoen, you know uh, every guitar player we had every bass player you could name you know rob uh rob was there from metallica we'd have um you know smash mouth would come by just everybody you know but the thing was it was like the guys from Corn live in L.A., but Dean Markley would have to get them a hotel room for the night. Yeah. In Anaheim, you know, and it's like, come on, guys. You know, like I lived in Nashville and in the Nashville show, I drew I drove 45 minutes in to do the show every day. You know, and yes, I was getting paid to be there for a whole different reason. But, yeah. you know, yeah, it's like, oh, yeah. And the hotel rooms. Come on. I yeah. mean, Anaheim. Yeah. 
If there's any place in the world that lost money this year, it was Anaheim, California. That's all I got to say. Yeah, they must have. I mean, without Disney and without the conventions. But the, so. but, but the, other, the other side of it is, is you know, you've, you've spoken to some brands I have, and I'm just, I'm just thinking off the top of my head on, on, on how I see it is, are these big brands that have literally not had to spend money on going to NAM this year? And they've done their own, let's say their own... Uh, internet-based video yeah. their, own, their own internet trade show on the youtube channel yeah. they've, they've, I mean, they've, they've done a video for each model that they do or even the big retailers that have, haven't had to spend the money to go over there to look at the stuff they've had the stuff sent to them earlier you look at like anton's channel every day yeah. this is what's coming out and now they've already got the stock well, will they look at that and maybe after with it, it's kind of skewed as well because People in lockdown are obviously guitar sales are up because people are in lockdown. They want to. They, they're actually well. They're not, they're not spending money traveling anywhere. They might have no. the holiday. They're not going to buy a new car because they'll get fined to drive out of their county. <laughs> but yeah. they're, buy, they're buying guitars. So at the end of all this, when it comes to the balance in the books, are they going to say, right, we didn't spend money on going to Nam. We did our own thing and look at ourselves. They're much bigger. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's weird. I was the, the UK sales numbers come out every Friday. Um, you know, they say, oh, last week we, you know, didn't make as much as we did last year. And they keep doing that. And it's like not until March 20th, the week of March 20th, are we going to actually hear a real number that makes sense? Mm -hmm. Because last year you and I were doing a gig about this time of the year, you know, or we were out buying it at a pub. We were yeah. spending money, you know, oh, the entertainment business lost 80 percent in the last two weeks of what they made last year. Well, of course yeah. they did. They're not open. They're not open. Where, where, where did the twenty percent come from? That's like you know, that, that, online that, that, sales. That's like them saying, uh, "Well, cinema tickets are down." <laughs> yeah, except, well, but they have said that. They have said that. I mean, just the way they explain things, you just go, "No realistic concept of of, of what it is." And and I I don't think uh, we touched on it earlier um, about you know people leaving their jobs and not having jobs and changing their thing. I had this idea, not that it meant anything, but I would have loved to seen the BBC go one week without any music for any of their TV shows and broadcasts. Just show the broadcast. That's it. No music, no background, anything. And then I think people would understand what is missing from what's going on. I mean, I, I don't think, you know, because you turn on the, the TV and, and BBC News comes on and you hear that that intro, you know, that the guy wrote and you go, oh, the news is on. Well, what would happen if you looked at your TV and there was no sound till the guy talked, you know, so until the, the presenter, it's like, you let's know, get, in the one get, show, da, 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 you know, same guy that wrote the BBC. Let, let, let's get rid of the EastEnders theme tune. You know? yeah. <laughs> well, that's it. I mean, if you imagine that people have their TV on and they're making dinner and all of a sudden there's no sound at eight o'clock and you walk out and look and it's like, oh, it's the view of, you know, the, going over the East End with the camera, showing the S, doing the Thames. Oh, oh, what happened? What, where's the music? <clears throat> Guess what? That's exactly what we're asking. Yeah. You know, now, of course, there is music being made. I mean, Abbey Road has done some recording with distancing. And <clears throat> we saw last year. Um... <clears throat> Sorry. Um, you know, a bit of the proms done with the smaller orchestra and of course last year all of the events were done with the marine bands and um the scots guard where they were like 
six to eight feet apart at Buckingham Palace performing. Yeah. So we know it can be done. Uh, the West End, you were talking about, you know, being in a pit. I'm used to being in a pit where I can barely move. Yeah. You know, when I did Les Mis, there was a piece of the stage that was here. So what happened is I sat down into a chair. And if I decided I wanted to bob around, I'd hit my head, you know, and the bass was here. And it was like, there's the music stand. And when it was time to do take the break, I had to move the music stand so I could get out. Now, that's what it looks like. Imagine putting uh, perplex between every person in that pit and getting there. You know, it's uh, it is crazy what we're trying to think we're going to do. You know, yeah. I mean, sorry, we got way off. That, that was like a whole right. different thing. But that's all right. <laughs> already seen this year. You know, you've, you, uh, Glastonbury's already cancelled. The, yeah. the, the, the other festivals haven't really said anything yet. I mean, I know it's yesterday that made me laugh. The Who put a statement up yesterday cancelling their tour, which would have happened in March. Yeah. And they, and they just figured out that maybe we shouldn't do it. Well, it's funny because uh, uh, Pino, the bass player that was playing with The Who for a long time, of course, left The Who. And uh, John Button's taken his place. But he left because he had too many dates. He was doing the John Mayer thing, and I think he was doing another D'Angelo thing. And it just worked out that it was going to be easier for him to do the other thing. And, of course, John Buttons recorded the new album with The Who. And last year, it was supposed to come out. It's the only album that didn't come out. The Rolling Stones put out, you know, Ghost Town and whatever they're going to do. Uh, bon Jovi put out some really, I mean... 2020. Yeah, I mean, I, I hate to, yeah, I, I, again, I said it to you earlier, I hate to be sad, but uh, um, it wasn't our best year for music. It was our best year to hear that I'm in a line six feet from somebody wearing a mask uh, in about 10 songs. I, I couldn't believe the amount of people that need to tell me this in a song instead of letting me know reality and taking me somewhere else. You know, I mean, that's, that's, come on. That's a good point. I, I, didn't need, I, did, I, did, I didn't need to hear yeah. an album about the pandemic. Yeah, yeah exactly. I'm, you know? I'm living it. I'm living it. You know, it's like, you well, know. and that's the same thing with Hagar and those guys, them doing that thing. The songs aren't about that, but yeah. it's the way it was done. But you go, oh, look, it was done in the pandemic. That's like the cream of the crop. It's a time you stamp. Know? It's a time stamp and years. We're looking yeah. At, you know. And, oh, and, yeah. But, but yeah, I don't, I don't, it was I don't, a bit I don't, like that. It was like that Soderbergh movie. Did you ever see the Soderbergh movie? It was called Timeline or something. And it intertwined all the yeah, yeah, yeah. people. And they actually filmed on their phones. The, the, all of this stuff was filmed. And you could see the time things. But it would all be the same time. So I think like Julia Roberts was like in L.A. doing something. Somebody was in New York. Then he gets on a plane. And it's like you never see him again because he doesn't fit into the timeline. He couldn't get there in an hour and a half. Right. He just gets on a plane and like he's he's only in the film like oh, he's in New York at the same time. OK, now oh he's out of the film. <laughs> he's not going to make it, you know. But yeah, that was uh, it's it, that's quirky and fun. And I think that gave a positive twist mm -hmm. to what can happen, you yeah. know, and that's a bit like not to make put myself or our the band that I'm in in that situation. But all of the lockdown videos that I saw, I did a lot of jazz projects with people I never, ever played with. Because a drummer said, hey, man, I got a trumpet player in L.A. I got so-and-so. I got so-and-so. You want to do it? Yeah. I'm doing a rock and roll thing right now, which is going to be a video and a recording. And they're going to release the recording. But I think 
piano players in Texas, you know, we're all over the world and it's fun. You know, that sometimes it's not all about the cash. It's about how can we turn this into something that my brain doesn't explode during, you know? So you get to play. So it was cool for that. You know, the lockdown videos were fun. That's all they were meant to be, you know? But sorry, back to the NAM shows. I think we were going to go on a different twist. I think we were going to go on some of the... Your background's gone off. My background's gone off. There we go. Hey, there we go. Yeah, there we go. But uh, when you were like, your background's gone off, I'm like, the bases are gone? (laughs) (laughs) I I should have said screensaver, my bad. Yeah, that's it. Well, it's all, you can do all these crazy backgrounds. You know, we heard all about this cat and this lawyer the last yeah, week, that, that was you know, that was and it was like, I was thinking about going in here and trying to find like, um, what Gabriel's studio or, you know, one of those things and have that be the background where, uh, yeah, yeah, it's been tough, Chris. Uh, we've been, you know, uh, I've only really had this space to work with. I can only fit the one orchestra in here. Yeah, <laughs> we've only got the one drum room. It's been really tough. But Chester Thompson's been filling it nicely with me. <laughs> <laughs> so what are you going to say about Nam then? We've got oh, no, I was just going to say, we, we, were t- we, we got on the selling and we got on all the... But uh, yeah, the times, the, the fun, the fun you have at Nam, the people you run into randomly, you know, the lemmies of the world, mm-hmm. God rest their souls, yeah. you know, um, but uh, yeah, because we had we had a few. Well, we had a couple of good names together. You and I did a couple of names before you didn't do them, and then I had been yeah. doing them. Wow, I've been doing them since the late eighties. Yeah, wow. Well, we were talking about Chicago when it used to be in Chicago. Yeah, and we used to go up, and you walk in, and it was like the who's who of everyone there could be in the music world. You know, I mean, the same in L.A. You walk down and you look over, and you're like. Oh, look, Stevie Wonder's walking around. What's Stevie Wonder looking at? You know, like, you know, I mean, it's like, it's like Yamaha. Stevie, you got to come try out this piano. The guy hears everything. Do you think a room like Nam is where you want to play the piano? It feels great. (laughs) Can you turn it up? Actually, it was Herbie. No. It may have been Chick Corea. He's just passed away. It was either Herbie or Chick. We were at a NAMM show doing something for DW Drums, and they were next to Yamaha. And there was a load of people around this guy playing the piano. And we're like, well, I think that's Chick Corea. We walk over, and there's the poor little girl that works for Yamaha comes over and says, I'm sorry, sir. You know, they're from Japan. I'm so sorry. The sign says you can't play it. He's got like 180 people going. (laughs) And it's like, and they're like, do you realize who this is? And then she just goes, but it says you cannot play this. (laughs) (laughs) Those are those NAM things you just go, of course it is, you know. There there, there is some weird, there is some really like weird random stuff that happens at the strangest of places. Like you, I often find it, find it quite cool where you'd see, you'd see someone amazingly famous or massive in my eyes yeah on the smallest booth ever yeah and wondering why they're there or what the connection is the, the tortex that, pick booth the tortex picks yeah, booth. yeah. Uh, today yeah. we've got frank and bali we've got uh eddie van halen we've got, you know it's like really like yeah 
you know, and, and, we, and again, like we said, we know what it costs or what it takes to get people to come to a booth. Like at what point, you know, like actually I remember um, and polytone amps were, of course, the industry standard forever. But I never saw their booth more than probably the smallest one they ever had. So it'd have two guitar amps, a couple of bass amps. They'd have a double bass. But I mean, Ray Brown used to come every year and play. You'd have, you'd have, um, um, you know, um, who who was it? I think Toots Tillman was there. You know, one year, like playing guitar and playing harmonica through the polytone amps, and you're just going. But that was back in the day when people were given stuff and they came and did for you. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's it, it's a whole different thing now. I mean, uh, the, the deal. I remember the deal that Flea made with Modulus when they did the Modulus Flea bass, you know, and uh, the girl that was running Modulus at the time, just talking about, you see in Flea walk around, you know, he doesn't walk in the building unless somebody's paying him to be there. And I'm not being mean about Flea, he's a great guy, but, you know, they tour the world and make a lot of money every day. What, What do I really need to walk in and play a bass at a booth that has my name on it? People will just buy it. You know, I mean, Slash, Slash doesn't have to show up at the Gibson booth in Nashville, which is like not there anymore anyway. But, you know, it's like so I just remember that deal and getting a call. Californication came out and it was like uh, we've just paid Flea all this money to play our bass and with his name on it and designed it. But he's using a Fender in the video. And I said. And, you know, like I didn't have anything to do with it, but they were like, but but you were there when we had the conversation. Like she was trying to make it make me feel like I was going to say yes. And then ring Flea up and tell yeah, yeah. Flea, I cannot believe you're using a 1962 bass, you know, that costs more than your bass. <laughs> it's like, it's like he plays it on tour. He's not going to take that bass on tour. Don't worry, <laughs> you know? So, yeah. but then you've got the Adam, the Adam Clayton's of the world, you know, who have endorsements with six different companies incredible players but you just go are they with fender this week uh are they playing a warwick what are they, you know it's there's, like, there's, there's a lot of that there's, there's yeah a lot of that. and i think i see it a lot with the sort of i don't want to class them as internet well there's a lot oh. of play, there's a lot of players about with deals that have got deals basically on their exposure and then their influence yeah on the internet but to me, where does it where does it stop? You you're influencing people, and you you get that you have a lot of followers, so you're an influencer, and you talk sense about gear, so a company gets behind you, and you talk about that, and you influence all these people. In the next six months, you just completely ditch it, and you play a different brand. Oh, well, there's 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 a bass player online right now, and actually, he's a friend. So I I, but he had an amp and a bass, and they did a signature bass for him, and that was before lockdown and last year he was playing it and it sounded great and this bridge is specially made and there's a special bit and then all of a sudden Christmas came and he's got a new another $5,000 base custom made it's my signature and it's like you know I mean you've known me for a long time Chris Mm -hmm. and I talk about Ibanez even I mean I went out and bought the old ones you know to you know so it's like it, it, it's very funny. I mean, not that I have a signature, not that it matters, but there's a lot of guys. Uh, we were talking about somebody the other day, you and I, when we were talking about this, that uh, seems to be all over the internet. And it's like every day there's a post and there's another post and that's great, but he's a big enough name that does he really need to be doing that? 
you know, I was doing it for a while, you know, where it was trying to do my thing and you get a lot of followers, whatever, but I've kind of realized 2020, there's 9,000 guys like me. So what am I giving? As long as I'm making money, the rent gets paid, <laughs> stick with it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally get you on that. I totally get you on that. Yeah. It's, it's just the whole, the whole model has changed now. Um, and you know, it's like I said, doing virtual band this, this year and literally seeing, oh, so and so has released a, a new signature guitar for so, and I'm like, well, who's that? Oh, he's got a YouTube channel. Okay, cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's two or three of those guys. Yeah. There, yeah. There's a girl. There's a girl. Uh, I mean, there's some amazing female players out in the last few years, I have to say. I mean, Lara Brasio and, and people like that, you know, and they're worth every dime. I mean, they're great players. But there's some that are literally YouTube players and you go to their YouTube channel and you go, why, why have Marshall and everybody given them all this gear? You know, I mean, I haven't figured it out because it, it doesn't sound that great. <laughs> it's, it's a, you know, I mean, these are even people that made it before we had better sound. So I still haven't figured it out. You know, it's, it's, um, it's weird. It's yeah. But it's, it's, it's the way it's the way it's, it's, it's going. I yeah. Guess. You know, it's, um, well, it's, it's a and, bit and, like, and it's, and it's a business, you know, you look at it in the day, oh, of course. Look, there's people making really good, really good money on, 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 on YouTube. I mean, this is going to go out. Oh money. yeah. Um, but like you get to a certain level, a certain level of subscription and you keep, and you reinvest that money back into your craft. So you get the better cameras, the better, and the better. Yeah. And it shows, well, I mean, these guys, you know, well, I think it's funny you know, though, the, 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 the guys that are out there that see that once you get a thousand viewers or, you know, 2000, whatever, um, it can monetize. Mm -hmm. So it's funny because there are guys on Facebook threads saying, can you come join my thing? I'm trying to monetize my site. Yeah. And I look at one video and I think, mate, you practice. <laughs> That's, you should invest in practicing, yeah. you know? So it's like, I mean, I've got hardly anybody on my YouTube, which I feel bad about. Anybody wants to come to my YouTube, hopefully we'll put that up later and you can see it. Yeah, I'll put but, um, yeah but um, I mean, I would love more people, but I started it mostly just to have a bit of fun and for me to work on my video craft. You know, uh, again, getting the Mac was great. I bought, I, I ended up getting the Adobe Creative Suite. Yeah. So I was able to have all the toys in one because I figured, well, I've got to do lockdown videos. Sometimes it's just easy to do it on your iPad and send it. But I wanted to be able to record the music separately uh, or at least when I'm doing the video mm -hmm. so that you can get a real sound because that's where I found everything was yeah. missing. You'd hear somebody's video and you're like, the drums and bass are gone because the mics were clipping yeah. all the time. Yeah. And I thought this is the easiest way to do it. So, yeah. And I think that's helped, you know, get you a few extra things. So, yeah, I think but, it does. Uh, and then there's some I love to watch, you know, I, I, I do love watching like Rick Beato's channel and things like that. It's fascinating. Yeah. You know, it's, it's all, you probably know him. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, well, it's, there, there's a load of those guys. Like, uh, I mean, um, the one that I was during lockdown, it got really fun. Lee Sklar, uh, the bass player, of course, banned, banned from Facebook. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, he he had a problem with the uh, old president, um, <laughs> but he had that problem for four years. He he and Tom Bones Malone, the trombone player from uh, the the Blues Brothers and also the David Letterman show, he's been with everybody. Uh, and Tom's great. The two of them, it would be like 
all of a sudden I wouldn't see any feed from them for weeks. And then it's like, I'm back. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, gotcha. they start, yeah, they started trying to figure out if they could do hand out badges. If you could get a badge for the most amount of days, off, you know, kicked off. Um, and then we did a thing with Lee was great. Uh, everybody took pictures of Lee and put them up the whole time he was off. Mm. So everybody else's picture was Lee. <laughs> so that was quite just a fun, silly thing to do in the base world. But uh, but yeah, um, but yeah, Lee, Lee's was great because he's talking about tunes he's played on and he's just sitting in his room. You know, it's like, oh, I played on this Willie Nelson hit. I played on, you know, problem is, is every song he mentions. I mean, he's probably got 700 videos up now or, what you know, 300 and some videos from last year. And everyone's a hit. You know, you're like, Lee, what songs have you played on that sucked? No. <laughs> it's like, yeah. yeah, it's like, yeah. The, you know, the, when your first gig is James Taylor and uh, Carol King, it's a bit tough. Not your first gig. That wasn't his first gig. But when you're known for that as your first thing from the 60s and 70s, life doesn't get much worse than that. You no, know, not, it's not, like, really, not, not really. Oh, speaking, yeah. of, speak, speaking of good gigs, yeah. Uh, how, did, how did you get involved with Dolly Parton and that camp? That, actually, that's, I mean, it's a funny story, but it's a bit like what I told you, the early ones. You, it's, it was, this was the pre-internet days, so it was all real word of mouth. I mean, you know, I did, um, as a youngster, saying that, you know, I had the Dr. John, and then I did the Broadway tour, and then I got a chance to play with Dizzy Gillespie before he died. So I had kind of this weird thing. And then in there, I moved to Nashville at one point. And I started playing with a lot of young acts. Uh, I was lucky enough to play for some, they're huge artists now, but you play for them when they're like nothing. You know, record labels used to hire us to do the South by Southwest Festival. Mm -hmm. And you'd go as a band and it would be one band there all week. And you play with seven different people because the record label wanted it to sound good. And they, the artist only had to play five or six songs. So we would rehearse in Nashville for a long time, get it right go there and do the show getting into that and i ran into a, a lovely bunch of guys richie owens which i think i introduced you to at the nam show uh richie yeah, yeah. he had the band called the farm bureau which a uh, great little band in nashville but uh richie had what is her cousin is dolly's cousin and we had a band called shinola and we were playing gigs around town and uh john prine's record label was super interested into us uh, and we had a lot of that going on, but we were all session guys. So it was kind of like a great band doing weird stuff. I was playing electric upright, but we were doing like, um, you know, almost stray caddy type stuff, but it was like the, uh, you know, old country. We had slide guitars, uh, Richie plays. Uh, actually, you probably knew Richie even more from Washburn and Gibson. He's the guy that brought uh, all the... Um, slide stuff to those guys when they were doing the uh weisenheimer guitars at west uh, washburn right, he was yeah. the he was the main cat doing all that but he's into all that that real ethnic southern cool stuff so we had that going on we had bob ocker who was great um we our, our singer who, who was a great singer but of course wasn't going to be the dolly thing and we had bob from michigan a drummer that i actually knew when i lived in michigan in the 80s and randomly ran into him and he was working at a music store and so it all kind of came around we had this band and we were just doing regular gigs in between sessions and Richie said yeah you know Dolly's thinking about doing a new album well I, 
never came into us that he was related. He just said something about, you know, Dolly Parton's, uh, Dolly's talking about doing a new, you know, blah, blah. Oh, that's great. Well, his dad comes, you know, and he's in Owens and it's Richie Owens. Mm -hmm. And there's, you know, and we're going, I'm going, this is weird. And his dad goes, yeah, yeah, my, my sister, not sister, my cousin um, is, uh, you know, uh, her, her daughter's going to do a new album. And I said something like, oh, well, we should get on it. And he goes, well, actually, I think she's thinking about that. I was, oh, okay. And I just didn't really think about it. And then Richie comes back to us and goes, yeah, so that Dolly Parton album, uh, Dolly'd like us to do it. <laughs> We're like, so then we start realizing he's actually a direct cousin because his mother was the youngest sister, Owens. <laughs> which was Richie's dad's, it was mom. So it just got really convoluted, but it's like everything in the South, they're all related. You know, I think they're, you know, so I moved there, so I didn't count, but, um, but yeah, so we got, we got that. And in the process, um, uh, uh, A&M Records was closing that year, it was 96, I think. And Herb Albert had decided that he was done with the label and he wanted to move on. So Dolly didn't even have a record label. So she had A&M Records for years and years and years since she was younger. I think she started with Columbia, but moved to A&M because of 9 to 5. Because mm -hmm. A&M, of course, was every movie soundtrack there was in the world. You know, yeah. So she was with A&M. So the deal came down that they were going to pay her out or whatever the deal was, uh, a decent sum of money. This is Dolly Parton you're talking about. Um, on future sales and when they sold the company um whoever they sold it to she would have the offer to go with them or whatever so but basically unlike warner brothers has just done by selling people's catalogs to other people without their permission yeah. um a m didn't do that they said here's your catalog back here's the money it's worth and we loved having you on the thing and anything that sells under our name will immediately go to you now in you know, perpetuity. It was like, wow. So Dolly, we started this idea of doing the album. She came and saw us play, which was really surreal. You're at this gig in Nashville, like at this club. And all of a sudden there's like this little woman in rhinestones in a white wig. And you're like, is that Dolly Parton watching us play a set? You know? And she was like, oh, I think y'all are great. I want to, we got to do the album. And it was like, okay. So, yeah, so that's it kind of all came about that way. And then with the A&M deal, Richie had just bought a house and Dolly said, uh, uh, why don't we just build a studio in your house? And I mean, this is back in the day when you, you didn't build a studio like this. It was like no, it was massive, yeah. you know. Yeah. And sadly enough, I mean, we had an SSL board that had several Rupert Neve uh, channels in it. And of course, Rupert's just died in the last week, too. And it, that Dolly situation got me connected with so many more things than you ever thought. I mean, we actually were at an event with Rupert Neve, you know, and you're like, whoa, I'm with, you know, and I just remember going, uh, Rupert Neve, I'm Eric Rupert. And he goes, one of our names is the same. <laughs> it was like, you know, but, uh, but it was great. It took a month to do. We really kind of did almost two albums um, of stuff. And then it took forever for the project to finish because she was looking for a label. Of course, every label was running to get Dolly Parton, but uh, she wanted it to be 
something. And uh, yeah, so that's how that worked. And uh, it was it was a ball working with her. It wasn't a long period, but it was a great, great fun, you know. And I mean, even the slash thing was around the same time. The slash thing was a complete accident. Uh, artist relations, uh, guy by the name of Gypsy Carnes, who, who was running LA and Nashville artist relations for Gibson for years. Um, he and I were good mates. We were doing a lot of the same kind of thing you and I were doing at Ibanez, a lot of ideas. I was out doing clinics for, at the time, Steinberger, uh, Mike Tobias. They had bought all those companies, Zeta, uh, Electric Uprights. And that's how I got involved. Um, went over, worked with them for a long time. And then literally it was like, I had worked with Matt Sorum a couple of times. We were in LA and it was, oh, Slash wants to do a gig, you know, just tonight. It was like right after the NAMM show. And I'm, I'm thinking, well, how many bass players does Slash know? <laughs> you know, but it was, Matt's like, no, no, I told him it would be a fun. And then he starts talking about electric jazz and, oh, I've been, you know, hanging out in LA with with Les Paul and I was going what are we talking about here so that was you know but I was all the same period there was a period in my life my wife laughs about it because she didn't know me then that I used to get on an airplane sometimes and this was back you used to get a packet at the beginning of the year from like FedEx and it would be all your paper tickets for the year for your tour and you, I used to have to have like my, my anal retentive self. I had to have like folders and envelopes with the dates so I didn't miss anything. You know, I knew guys that like could show up and, oh, yeah, oh, I'm glad today was the day. Like that was their attitude. And I'm going, haven't you been waiting like three days for this? You know, yeah. so, but I got on a plane one time and I was literally trying to figure out, am I playing country, rock or jazz where I'm landing? I was lucky enough to be working with enough people. I was like, crap i can't remember what gig this is <laughs> you know but good old days the good old days yeah one day maybe they'll come back again you never know you know I, you know i mean it was it was weird i mean you you know this from doing your thing but i mean a lot of what i was lucky enough to catch on to was from artist relations guys you know you'd have a gig you'd go to these nam shows again these nam shows for, oh, for network, people networking i mean it's, yeah it's what goes on after the show as well when the show yeah oh yeah that evening that, that's yeah and there's a lot of it's done there's loads of parties i mean i remember i don't know if you remember if you were doing it then uh, anaheim closed for a while uh they closed anaheim for was three years to re disney had rebought a lot of areas and when we did we moved it to la so it was at the la convention center right downtown and when we did that, yeah. the gigs went from all the, yeah, but all the gigs, of course, you remember, were like, <laughs> I say this because they weren't, because once they redid it, and the convention center was rebuilt, so you know the new area yeah, yeah, with yeah. all the hotels and all the big places to play. Well, there was a time when Anaheim was like the small little convention center, and they'd play at like the Hacienda Hotel would have like Paul Gilbert and Racer X that night. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. you've got one of the coolest bands and you yeah. go into like the Hacienda and it literally looks like a Holiday Inn stage yeah. where they where like everybody's brought in gear. Well, with the three years we did LA, the Mint was like a main gig and Whiskey was a gig. Mm -hmm. And that was the year that like uh, it really flourished for me meeting people 
because we were in LA, the LA cats were easier to get everywhere. They didn't have to hang out in Anaheim. Mm -hmm. And all of the venues were tripping over themselves because the idea that you were going to get Stevie Wonder's band to play, you know, not that most of them don't live in LA now, but at that time, most of them were living all over the world because that's how the bands were. They just fly to the gigs and whatever. Then they all started moving to the same town. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, Nashville is the same way before um, the Megadeth guys moved there and before, you know, um, uh, Dan uh, Huff, and his brother moved there, um, which they're originally from Nashville, the Huff boys are, but they all started moving back to Nashville because LA after the uh, earthquakes, the, the bad ones, they, uh, they wanted to get away. And I think they sold a two bedroom house in the Hollywood Hills. Yeah. And Dan Huff went, moved to Nashville and he bought like a three story mansion out in Brentwood with a studio already built in it and he gave his wife a jag or something you know that was like the joke was like and I was able to buy my wife a car <laughs> you know it was like you know but lot, they were all doing them, it a lot of them live in Nashville now don't they a lot of them yeah live. well yeah. I remember Mustaine was there doing the first album and Dan Huff was producing it and we saw them in Brown's Diner which was like this it was known for like <laughs> what we would say grilled cheese and chili, but you know, like a, a you know, your cheese uh, sandwich. Yeah. Um, but we were sitting there and uh, I had just, I had been in with some other guys cause it's near Music Row. So it was kind of a normal place for everybody to hang out. It was a great bar at night. So we'd all end up there on the way home. And uh, I, I was there, I said, oh, hey, huh? oh, uh, oh, Dan, do you know, or Eric, do you know Dave? Oh, really lovely to meet you. You know, you know, don't know loads about him. I mean, I knew their music, but it wasn't what I listened to. And all of a sudden he goes, is that Chet Atkins at the bar? And I thought Dave Mustaine was like a five-year-old at that point. He was literally like, I got to meet Chet. I want to meet Chet, you know? And it was weird to like, see this guy who, you know, has just got more than a couple of pence yeah. <laughs> going, that guy, I want to meet that guy, you know? And Dan's like, oh, yeah, come on, we'll go over and meet you know, so it was weird. It was like, uh, you know, that that whole meeting people. And when they started moving to Nashville and it became all of that, uh, I uh, I can send you a picture. It's not a good one to me at all. But uh, uh, last year, two years ago, I was in Nashville, uh, not for a NAMM show, but there was a vintage guitar show. And I only went down to see some mates and to hang out uh, with a friend of mine that does. He actually makes guitar picks out of coins. It's called the original coin guitar pick guy. And uh, Ruvain's his name. Actually, <laughs> even funnier, his album came out last year and I'm on it. So he does, he's a, you know, does it all. But we went down and it was, um, we were reminiscing that myself, Tom Peterson from Cheap Trick and uh, Gary Talent from the E Street Band, we all moved to Nashville the same year. And there was a point where, we would we would see each other at gigs and sometimes I would have a gig at uh, 12th and Porter which was a really lovely venue for a long time it's gone now uh, 12th and Porter I'd be the band that was playing in the opening band I'd look out and Tom Peterson would be the bass player in the opening band and you're like how does this work you know but we were laughing about that like you know Gary called me um, I can't even remember when it was but Gary had moved there and it was like, I met him a couple times 
And I got a phone call and it was, uh, hey, I'm looking for some double bass for this band I'm working with. Would you mind coming in, you know, doing it until we find the right guy? And I was like, well, why wouldn't I be the right guy? And he goes, well, you know, you're the jazz guy. We're looking for a rockabilly player, tattoos. I mean, he knew what he wanted, but I just remember going and doing that. So two years ago when we saw each other, we were all three standing there laughing, like, look where we are now. You know, it's like... And I think Tom Peterson says, I'm still in the opening band at all the gigs. <laughs> yeah, Tom, sure you are. Sure you are. Yeah. The highest paid side man in town, you know. So, you, but, wouldn't, uh, you wouldn't knock that gig, would you? No. But. No, but I mean, all those guys, again, Nashville is full of really friendly guys. I mean, Mustaine, all of them, they're all lovely. None of them are the persona. And I mean, you and I know this from meeting them. A lot of people don't get it. They, they either hear a bad story about somebody or they hear this story about, oh, they snub me or they won't talk or they, you don't run up to somebody and ask somebody for an autograph, you know this. And we've all met people in that aspect. I mean, you know, Chris, people that know a bit about you or don't, or people that are gonna watch this, Chris is the guy that people called. Chris got the Steve Vai phone call, you know, uh, hey, Chris, I'm going to be in town and I left one of my, you know, guitars. Is there a way? Do you, I, I heard you have one, you know, because, of course, he already knows what you have. You can't go. Oh, I don't think so. You know, and I mean, we had some great stories you and I did about a bass player friend of ours that talk about swapping gear and switching stuff and running away from gear. You used to have a lot of bass rigs for somebody, if I remember right. And then all of a sudden, one day he didn't need them anymore. <laughs> I should have taken them when you offered them to. I should have taken. They had road cases. Um, yeah, but no. Yeah, yeah, straight straight from the show that's, to, the, that, to the studio, the, and then oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, yeah. you know, the same thing. I mean, the Steve Vai conversation. Uh, I, when I was with Dean Markley, again, Dean put me on this thing about we're having problems with uh, one of our strings, uh, talking about getting the call. And I think Vi was in Japan at the time. And it, I don't remember, it was either his tour or he was with somebody, I can't remember. But I got a phone call. It must have been 3.30 in the morning, you know, uh, States time. And it was like, hello? And it was my mobile phone. And I'm like, hello? And he's like, hey, Eric, it's Steve. I'm like, Steve who? Okay. <laughs> it's 3.30 in the morning. Steve who, man? You know, I know it's not Stevie Wonder. You're not, you know. Um, and he's like, I'm having some trouble with my A string. And I'm like, bye. Yeah. Oh, oh, okay. Um, yeah, is there any way that you can call me when I'm in the office? Uh, yeah, how, 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 what, 10, 15 minutes? <laughs> like, Steve, it's 3.30 in the morning, you know? It's like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. All right, uh, okay. You know, and this was the beginning of emailing. And so people weren't doing, we didn't have laptops out on the road. I mean, he did. But, you know, we didn't have any of that easy to get to and easy to do. And, but, yeah, so you know what those calls are like, you yeah. know? Yeah. So what was wrong? I mean, and, what, what was wrong with his A string then? Well, I don't like to tell stories, but there may have been some problems with the processing at the Dean Markley uh, factory at one point, uh, uh, which he, got which got fixed. Yeah, he he he'd, he'd spot it though. Oh <laughs> well, no, there, there were there were A strings breaking on the uh, on the blue steels, and he was playing blue steel at the time. So was um, uh, Neil Schoen. And Neil called me one night, and he was just like. Man, I've broken like three A strings. And I said, don't hit your guitar so hard. Don't, you know, don't, like, you, don't, I, you, don't use the A. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd say, I'd say maybe that's not a good, good string for you to use. But uh, yeah, there was, it was a processing. All of us deal with it. I mean, you've, you've gotten the phone call. Hey, man, you sent me a, 
a guitar. It's great, but uh, two of the pickups don't work. And you're like, okay, like, you know, I'm here. What can I do? Sometimes yeah. things like you know, you, you get like bad batches of tubes, which is nothing to do with yeah. Your, it's just you, you don't know. You can do you can do your testing yeah. on them and put them on soak test for hours and hours and hours, but you still don't know that maybe on the third hour they'll blow up because oh yeah, know, well and, and, you, know, and, you know, and you know what it's like. I mean, dealing with artists in general. I mean, it's great, but at the same time, all I'm saying is. That, really is none of these guys are you know uh, any different than than any of us so when people have those bad experiences they just need to take a step back and go how would it feel if you were that big and you knew 800 people were going to run at you you know i mean paul gilbert's got to be one of the nicest friendliest like that that guy will literally stand and talk to every person in the audience after a show yeah you know i watch them i watch the event people tell him he had to shut up you know, it's like, sorry, you need to go backstage and we need to get the people out of here. Oh, just a couple more autographs. You know how Paul is. Just a couple more. Just a couple more. You know, and he's like, he's yeah, just he's moving right. down the row, you know. And it's like, we, we, you really have to leave. And then he, but, but, but Paul's one of those guys that'll be like, okay, look, in 25 minutes, we're at the blah, blah, blah hotel. And all of a sudden you walk in, the hotel's flooded with people. And you're like, why did you tell him yeah. that you were here? And he's like, I felt bad, you know, but it's great. I mean, those are the cats, you know, those, those, and there's, everybody's really like that. I mean, Dolly, uh, you know, she's a million dollars slash the same. I mean, I don't know if you ever worked with him or got to deal with him at all, but he was always just the nicest guys. And you know, he, I never I, had any I, issues. The only thing I love with, with Slash was when he was signed on the Seymour Duncan booth the one year and literally was five foot away from me because I was on the edge of the Laney booth and it was right yeah. next to the Seymour Duncan. I was yeah. like, <laughs> so, so I think yeah. it was a picture of me. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> get, the, get the right angle. Yeah. yeah. But no, I mean, you know, the, the, I, I, they get a bad rap. Uh, most artists get a bad rap because of those kind of things. I mean, I've had the bad experience with people too. You have. You know, you have bad experiences, but it's all about the day and the it, time. It's and the day and the time. It's, it it's, like, it's like anything else. You don't know what's going on in someone's life and what's going on at home. And they've yeah. got to be there and be Mr. Oh, yeah, yeah. No. I mean, the Daltrey, you know, doing the Daltrey gig was like, you know, uh, hey, there, there's this cat we need you to play bass for. Okay, great. You walk in the room, there's this little old guy with a fro and he's playing the guitar and they're trying to do a who tune. And he's telling the guitar player, I think it's a D chord or maybe it's a G chord. And, and I, I think I, I think I said something like, uh, I think it's in G. And then he just turns and goes, ah, oh, if Pete was here, he'd know. And I'm going, well, I'm yeah. playing with you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, okay, this will be all right. This is all right, gig, you know. But that was great. That was with uh, Chris Difford. Uh, when Chris was doing, uh, he was doing this Riders at Sea thing. So mm. we would go on the ships and perform with different artists. It was great. It's actually where I, <laughs> I mean, I had known Guy Pratt. Another guy who did some great videos last year on lockdown was Guy Pratt mm. doing all the songs that, you know, he's played and stuff you don't even realize he's on. You know, I mean, half the time you don't realize it. Plus he's a great comedian, but he was on, <laughs> as one of the things and it was funny because i remember saying to somebody i play bass for guy pratt and they're like he's a bass player <laughs> you're like yeah but he plays guitar and sings too <laughs> but you know it's what it is well, 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 more toys more well, things 
So what yeah, else have we got going on? Well, I guess say we could we could talk forever, but I was going to say for one uh, just to, just to close up something. We'll oh yeah, part, we could do this. We haven't. Yeah, we. I think I'll do a part two as well soon at some point. Um, once once I get some more followers <laughs> and that. But but what what advice then would you give to anyone who was starting out or aspiring to play bass? What's what what do you, what do you think nowadays? As, as would that advice have changed from the advice you may have had when you were when you were younger, or or because there's that much difference in technology now? What, what, what was your top tip yeah. for people? Well, I think, I think especially uh, doing what I did yesterday with Solent University, I, I found that what is missing from the routine is routine. Uh, I mean, COVID aside, I don't think people uh, kind of have the, uh, the light at the end of the tunnel like we used to. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have any of that. So either you were good or you didn't work. There were only two ways to go. And it was all word of mouth, you know. Um, But I would have to say that, you know, as a player, try to be as versatile as possible. I know that's a tough one. People don't always get that. They want to be a rock guy, a jazz guy, but you'll work more. I mean, I've been lucky. I've played with in every genre, every realm you can. Reading music, I still think, is very, very important. Um, because you never know when you're going to have to do it. So, you know, those are the kind of things that I think of. But I think versatility. And I had a producer, actually, it might have been a road manager one time. I said, you know, what would you instill in me? He instilled two things. Uh, and the one was, don't say no. You, you, you never know when you say no, that might have been that thing. You know, I mean, the, the Dolly Parton thing happened because a bunch of us got together and somebody said hey man would you want to come do this I could have easily said I'm just a bit too busy but I thought nah they're a bunch of fun guys we're not you know it's it's guys getting together having a beer having a smoke and playing some music and you end up being on Dolly Parton's album or the Slash you know any of those things are all hey Eric are you comfortable you know Slash needs somebody tonight really quick okay you know it's like I mean, I, I was playing the electric upright at a at the Fen, at the Gibson booth, you know, showing off the Zeta electric uprights, and it was like, "Hey, Eric, you'd be perfect for this." Who thought I was perfect for that gig? You know what I mean? But luckily, uh, uh, both Henry Henry, oddly enough, the owner of Gibson at the time, I was playing in his band, and I will tell you, if you ever play with Henry, you only need to know the key G right, for every okay. song. You'll be fine. Um, beside the point. But yeah, that, so it was never say no. And, and you, you have to say no sometimes when you're too busy or you know it's out of your depths. I don't usually run to the reggae gigs. That's not usually my thing. Uh, I enjoy the music, but I don't always feel it the same as I feel big band swing or a great rock tune or some country stuff. Um, the other thing is when you get the gig, if it's with a big artist, or any artist, but Dizzy Gillespie's road manager told me one time, he said, be in the band, don't be a fan. And it was the best advice I think I had ever gotten because inside you can jump up and down and be like, oh dude, I'm playing with, you know, playing with Roger Daltrey. This is gonna be the most amazing thing in the world. Uh, no, I think it's in G, mate. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. uh, on the outside, you just have to do it. I mean, Chris, you understand it because like you said, you can be a foot from the guy that you think is the most ridiculous player in the world. You know, uh, I mean, 
again, I was lucky enough to meet Eddie. I was lucky enough to meet Stevie. I, you know, met a lot of the artists and half the time you go, when you walk away from it, you go, wow. I think George Clinton was one of the weirdest because he's just such a weird vibe. But I walked away from George Clinton going, I'm not sure if I'm excited or freaked out by that. <laughs> it was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, but, uh, but yeah, I think that's the two things. I think, you know, but be prepared for all of it. That's the thing. You, you, um, I think I, I watched something the other day that said something about, um, paraphrasing it something about you you can't get what you want unless you you know do it basically you know the the old nike term just do it but uh you know I to, we should get some uh, endorsement credits for the nike i think, I think we should yeah i think we should yeah. definitely yeah. i'm more of a converse guy but you know whatever we'll go with that well, after, <laughs> um, after, after last week when we had the uh a singer going on about the thing he was trying to advertise that i totally didn't oh spot. really okay yeah uh, yeah the, the, yeah we, you know, it's all, all sponsorships greatly received, but yeah, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't really expect to it in the middle of a music-y type podcast you're talking about manscaping, but... <laughs> yeah, well, 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 trust me, we'll, we'll stay away from that. I'll leave that to Rob Lowe. We'll let Rob Lowe deal with all the products. He's doing fine with that. But yeah, I mean, um, so yeah, it's, it's basically preparation. Just make sure you, you've got it all. I mean, it's tough. Um, one of my students yesterday uh, had a really good thing to say. It's tough in this pandemic because you've got nobody there to reinforce whether you're doing the right things. And I think the internet and, you know, now I don't want to go anywhere wrong, but I think we're in such a nanny state in every aspect now of what we write, say, do that you have to be careful. I hate that because there's something so great about being somewhat irreverent. Um, and I think that it was, um, Rowan Atkinson last week or something put out a thing about, you know, why can't we say what we want to say? That's how I made money all these years, you know? Um, so, you know, Dave Allen, we were watching the, the Dave Allen uh, movie. Yeah. Well, uh, Ian Gillian plays him in, uh, in a movie called uh, Dave Allen and death or something. Dave Allen, I can't remember what the name of the movie is, but it's great. It, it wasn't the hardest stuff that he had ever done. It wasn't the most shocking, but it was great. You know, I think all I'm trying to say is it's, you put things up on the internet, you put it up on your, you know, Facebook and you put it up on your Instagram and you get so many positive and negatives. I think people have to realize that the negative is usually somebody pissed because they don't have it or they don't get it. And take the positive stuff and keep that in the back pocket and say, somebody really liked what I did. And that's what matters. Um, but yeah, be prepared. Don't worry about what everybody's got to say. Worry about the people that you need to say things. You know, if I would have been on the, the road playing with somebody and they would have said, oh, you're crap, then I'd, you know, go down. But you don't go down then either. When somebody says something's wrong, you just fix it. It's easy. You know, until you're big enough to walk away from it and go, I don't care. You don't have that ability. You got to say yes and do it. And, you know, and just for everybody else, great gear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but again, we've talked about, we've talked about Harley Benton. We've talked about some of the most inexpensive stuff, you know, in our lifetime, we've seen the stuff that was at that price be the worst stuff in the world. And now we know, you know, I mean, you're talking about, I'm buying Japanese bases that sold for $199 back in the day yeah. and seemed a bit expensive, but the fenders were 700 then. Yeah. Now they're selling for the same price that fenders are selling for. 
So hold on to it. Play it. It'll be worth it. It's it's a great world in terms of gear we live in at the moment. I, st- I still oh, think, yeah. I still think right now that it's probably the golden age of of being a musician because there's that much quality oh. gear available for for prices that you wouldn't even have thought of years ago. You know, it's it, it's oh yeah. Well, and and people that say they don't have enough time to practice, they're liars. <laughs> there you go. I you wish I practiced more. You got. Well, yeah, I wish. Yeah. I wish. I, I think I put up last year. I, I, I think it came from my Facebook memories, just to finish off. But it came up with. Um, <laughs> Cause I remember exactly the, the day that I started playing guitar, because an album came out on that day, which which kicked it off for me. And then um, it came out. It was like you know, I've been playing twenty five years today, and I thought I really should be a bit better. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, every time I leave a gig and somebody goes, "Man, that was great," I always just go, "As long as you're happy." Yeah, like, you're never happy when you walk away you're always happy about your attitude and the thing you know yeah. but uh now just that's it that's it those are i mean those are the things i'm going to be not do i don't do the podcast or anything but i want to do a thing about what's in your gig bag uh that's which cool. is kind of instead of it, it's it's both real and surreal because it's it's not only about what you carry what you should have when you get to the gig because we all know you get there and you go oh man you know, but I'm OCD. So I have like every gig bag has a cable, a strap, <laughs> every base, you know, my levees guys, I've turned into a, I love levees and they've re-put out the perplex clear strap. And they sent me like nine. Well, I said, I love them. Can I have some? Yeah. We're really not selling them. I said, I just, can I get some? Yeah. Sent me nine. I'm just like, I hid some away. So, so that now I've you've got, so now you've got like fl- levitating floating bases. When you <laughs> yeah. play like. Well, the best part is, is your outfit always matches your straps. That's another great thing for the kids. <laughs> mate, mate, it's been fantastic catching up. And I, we will definitely yeah, yeah. have another one when, I, when, I, when I've got a bit more established and doing a bit more. No, no, it'd be great, man. Again. Maybe even when we're, we've got a bit more news and when we can get together and actually do these gigs. We've yeah, maybe, maybe we'll do one live. We won't, we'll do a live cast with a performance. That, that would be fun. That, that would be great. That'd, that'd be, be great. That'd be fun. As long as, as long as, you know, I can drive to your tier, then we'll be okay. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Whatever that means. <laughs> now it's been brilliant. I'll, I'll, we'll add every link to. Uh, yeah. Well, I'll send you an email. Work. I'll send you an email. If you send me a copy. I know we're still videotaping, sorry. Um, <laughs> but if you send me a copy, I can find everything I talked about, like Nordstrand stuff, and I'll send you all the bits. Yeah, or brilliant. you can connect it to my website, either one. It doesn't matter. Yeah, brilliant. So, I'll do all that. Because I feel bad. I didn't even talk about, like, I had a really cool ramp made by this guy in Italy, which is cool. So we'll do that on another one. Yeah. We could do a gear one. Actually, I, it might be fun for you to host my what's in the gig bag thing. That would be cool. Yeah. So you could do it. You can put it on your thing and then I can put it up and we can do it as a host thing. That'd yeah. be cool. Cause we could talk about gear yeah. and maybe even beers. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. Or, or vodka and three or, olive vodka or, or, or gin or yeah. I'm really into the martinis lately. Oof. Really? Yeah. See martinis like not, not, it comes in and out of fashion, doesn't it? I, not for me. I love a vodka martini, three olives dirty. Shaking my stirred. Always shaking. You shake vodka, <laughs> your sturgeon. Well, we found at Littles in their deluxe range. I love to, Here we go. <laughs> another, <laughs> another endorsement. Another endorsement by Little. Um, 
at Little, they were selling stuffed olives with the piment and garlic together. Oh, so yeah, I went out. My wife didn't like it, but I bought four bottles instead of one. Like, you got to have them, don't you? You got to have See, I'm, excess. I'm, yeah, <laughs> you got to have excess. Well, well, that's it. That's it. <laughs> we're the kings of that. All right, go away. Do your uh, closing or whatever. Yeah, man. So all the links were below. Please like and subscribe as well. That'll really, really help me out. And I'll see you next week for some more interviews with some really interesting people like Eric. Eric, thank you very much for today. It's been thank you, fantastic. Chris. Have a great day. And we'll catch you up with you when we get back to you uh, later in the series. Sounds good. Cheers, mate. Have a night, buddy. Thanks, man. You've been listening to the Beer and Gear podcast with Chris Taylor.